Who's ready for some craptacular professional wrestling? Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Kicking Out at Two this week. Justin and Dennis have rejoined me. Uh, last week, we had a great discussion on the Mount Rushmore of tag teams, and uh, we thought, you know, let's continue the love, but this time around, we're not going to, you know, give so much love is uh we're we've approached the silver anniversary of wcw's fall brawl 1993 a month ago uh bill brown and i discussed SummerSlam 1993 and the weird year that wwf was going through um with the steroid trial and the lex express and hulk hogan's departure and uh it wasn't any better on the other side of the fence when it came to uh you know pro wrestling and wcw they had their fair share of of uh, fumbles and creative uh, blunders, if you will, and we will get into some of that uh, this week. Uh, but before we do that, fellas, welcome. Good to be here. It's cool that you know we've lately been uh, covering for the majority of the beginning of kicking out at two WWF retro material, people, events, etc. Kind of cool to step a little bit south of the border with WCW at this point. Uh, a nice little change up of sorts and a very good revisiting of things that I probably wanted to forget at the time. So here we are. Uh, glad to be here. And I'm, of course, always glad to be back. And uh, did we announce what we're going to be watching, Dave, yet? Yes. Oh, excuse me, my my my, my ears. I didn't mention it. So yes, the shock the shock are master. Flowing. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm just WCW stoked. I am stoked, Dave. Fall I'm stoked. Brawl, nineteen ninety-three. Search for it on the WWE Network. Uh, before you know, while you're searching for it, you can find it in the uh, the pay-per-view section. And uh, the year's nineteen ninety-three, and the 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 fateful evening is September nineteenth, nineteen ninety-three. WCW Fall Brawl. But before we uh, we we click play and watch along, uh, you know, I, I want to at least address a little bit here just for a brief moment how we're going to do this because the last time, Justin, you and I did a watch along was uh, SummerSlam 1997 and we just kind of, uh, you know, went into that uh, with some of our thoughts and memories and, and of our time watching that and, of course, you know, um, looking back in retrospective and, 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 and doing what we do normally as wrestling fans. This time around, I'm going to take a little bit of an approach from uh, one of my inspirations in podcasting, Conrad Thompson from the, the Bruce Pritchard podcast, as well as the Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff podcasts, respectfully. And uh, you know, I've gathered some notes, uh, usually with Conrad's shows when it comes to watch-alongs. He does you know heavy, extensive uh, research on events that had transpired in and around the time of the event that, that they are covering on the podcast especially with the watch along so what i did this week is uh, I, I gathered up some notes on some uh, notable uh events that had transpired on screen and behind this behind the scenes primarily in wcw but as well as um you know in other parts of the industry now these are all rumors and hearsay so i gathered up from different sources like wade keller and pro wrestling torch and dave Meltzer and the wrestling observer but you know all this is rumor and hearsay so not a whole lot of this was fact at that time and uh to be perfectly honest with you at 10 years old i didn't know what a dirt sheet was uh 1993 i think was the early infancy of what we all know now as the internet so invented by al gore by the way yes of course, yes 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 al gore yes and so uh 
you know, I, I wasn't aware of, of, of this area of wrestling um, resources at the time. What I saw on TV is what I got at 10 years old. So it'll be kind of interesting as I um, discuss some of the things, you know, that, that took place behind the scenes, allegedly, of course, and compare that to what I saw in front of me on the television screen. Didn't order this pay-per-view as a kid. Um, I think my parents were smart enough to not let me order this as a kid because they probably knew how much it sucked. <laughs> and going back this week and watching it uh, in long form, uh, I definitely realized how bad not only WCW was, but the wrestling industry as a whole. Uh, we kind of like briefly touched upon it on the SummerSlam episode with Bill, which you can check out in the archives right now over at SoundCloud.com. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, let's 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 get into the thick of things here. So hopefully, all of you have found your WWE network. Uh, you know, found your Fall Brawl '93 on the WWE network. Excuse me, and uh, gonna you know drop a little countdown for you in five, four, three, two, one. Hit play as we come to this open here, this signature, I guess you could call it in some ways, uh, the black and white. Uh, what about like 1950s, beaver, cleaver, good times, baby boomers, the husband kissing the wife on the Barbie cue. And, and war takes place. <laughs> SummerSlam. Houston, Texas. SummerSlam. The steam. Uh, there we go. That's a good name. SummerSlam, yeah. It's not SummerSlam. It's Fall Brawl. And the War Games. The Nasty Boys. And the, the Four Horsemen. The Nature Boy. And Rick Rude, the Ravishing One. Sting Squadron. Not the Squadron, per se, but the Shockmaster of being a member. It's Fall Brawl. And that infamous tank. From the Astro Arena the in Houston, game. Texas. Mm, Houston, Texas. A very uh, I guess interesting city. Uh, you, you look closer, you'll see, you know. You know, production because, and live television has a lot to do with that. Yeah. That's uh, WCW 1993. I doubt it was a sellout, but they probably did well. Yeah. You, the it, body! Looking handsome. Handsome, definitely. Look at that coat. <laughs> Tony Schiavone in the bar and, and and the body, and he's just laying down some that, miracle genius. That is like a Chris Jericho jacket if I haven't seen one. Yeah. And what about the haircut with with, with Ventura? What was with the, the the rat tail and the the completely bald look? Is that a '90s thing? Because that's a even body the, thing, man. Even yeah. in the '90s, I never got behind that. That is a body thing. Like Justin hit the nail on the head. You see some gym, uh, gym rats that have that look. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Eric Bischoff, Mr. Kendall, the on-site reporter. Pre-executive vice president of, Actually, of sports, or was he? Is it, this was his his his? This uh, was his pay-per-view first pay-per-view as the executive oh, producer of it? WCW. Okay. The first show he had uh, control over as executive producer of WCW the was the, the Clash of Champions a few weeks prior when the Shockmaster debuted. Well, you, you know, as we're looking here, we get the shot here of the two rings, and that's always like the the signature of War Games, and you see it with NXT and their rendition. And their their you know version of the war games, which I am a, am a fan of so far early, but it's just a visual that's just very cool and 
Is Benjamin Franklin? No, that is uh, Jeeves, I believe, uh, who was played by Bill Dundee of uh, Memphis wrestling fame, along with uh, Lord Stephen Regal as is they get set. Is that Billy Boy Dundee? That is Bill Dundee, wow, yes. Hey, he had to collect right. a paycheck somehow, some way. Yeah, you know? Lawler wasn't, you know, you know <laughs> Lawler wasn't providing, you know, money for his bills anymore, so I guess, you know, he had to go to WCW where it was an, where it was an instant paycheck. That's what I was going to say. Did Dundee swear he was going like, to take down this this organization. Yeah, and then what happened? I'm sure he, I'm sure he did. They all, they all swore to that back in the day. Yeah. You know, taking down the evil Vince McMahon. And, wow, you're right. Though. That's Dundee, all right? Yeah. That's wild, With Lord man. Stephen Regal, as we see uh, a capacity crowd. As Tony Schiavone had said in this in this uh, this broadcast, uh, they're turning them away by the thousands, and you can notice there's a lot of empty seats oh, in that right. main I, camera I, shot. I yeah, why, my earlier comments. Why turn them away? Well, yes. he's t- well, he's saying that there's pl- there's there's more people coming into the arena as as the show is beginning, and they're turning them away by two thousand people. I guess that was his cover-up of sorts to, uh, you know, remind the people that uh, watching at home that, uh, you know, the arena's not full yet, but it's going to be as the show goes on. And, you know, with that being said, that's part of a wrestling presentation on television is that type of rhetoric. And then again, the wide shots, getting all the crowd in, presenting the production value. Those are important aspects to a show. And then you've got Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and, and Dragon Regalia. With the torch, the blowtorch, spitting fire, because that's what a dragon does. Um, you know, this was tail end Ricky Steamboat. Uh, there couldn't have been that much many more matches left in his It's probably about a year. Um, yeah. A year before he had to officially retire because of injuries. But I dug this version of Steamboat with the dragon garb. Um, people don't really care for it because I guess he's more regarded as the... the um, how do I put it? The uh, the plain Jane, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, the individual, know? the person, the yeah, true blood. The, yeah, you know, um, people seem to recognize that version more. But I dug the, you know, you got to evolve in wrestling, and I didn't really have an issue it's with character driven, and yeah. it always has been. And I know people will 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 crap on what modern day wrestling has become, but you need to care about these people. And Michael Buffer. Yeah. Man, wow. Like, opening match. You know, he was doing main events on Nitro and big-time matches on WCW pay-per-view, but he's doing the opening match here, so... There was no Nitro before this. This was in 93. Right, so. and, but, right. And again, like, this is, a, this is a guy who was the epitome of big-time and yeah. big-match and main event, if you will, and he's, and he's you know, the, the voice of the event here. Um, again, adding to the production value that I think that WCW was looking to improve you know in the early days of eric bischoff's regime yeah um you know at this time uh it was around this time that wcw had began uh taping their television their syndicated shows and even some of their main shows like saturday night uh from the disney mgm studios in orlando florida and uh, according to the dirt sheets at this time they had suffered the first casualty of taping shows months in advance road warrior hawk was scheduled to work the upcoming clash of champions as dustin Rhodes' mystery partner and then be in the war games match on television they had been teasing that hawk would be dustin partner and he'd been a focal point of the build-up to the clash but hawk had pulled out of those shows meaning significant edits will have had to have been taken place that were already taped they're still negotiating and it's possible that hawk may still appear at the clash which he eventually did 
but he's definitely out of the War Games match. Dustin's father, Dusty Rhodes, coming out of retirement That's to be his right, son's baby. partner makes the most sense, and Dusty has made no secret about wanting to get back in the ring, but WCW management had shot down that idea every single time and seemingly had no interest in putting Dusty back in the ring. The dirt sheets indicate that the mystery man for the War Games will be Fred Ottman, better known as Typhoon in the WWF, and he will be coming in under a new moniker, which we will discuss later. I One thing I will bring up about the beginning of this match that I think is very interesting, you know, given the character involved and just the dynamic of pro wrestling is, you know, usually the match started here with Ricky beating down or attacking Lord Steven Regal to start the match. Yeah. Um, usually a very heel move, you know, before the bell rings for, for uh, you know, a beat down to start. Ricky got it going. Tony makes makes uh, makes mention of that, actually. It's funny that you bring that up because uh, Tony discusses um, a recent attack that Regal had uh, uh, perpetrated on Steamboat during an edition of WCW Saturday Night, causing injury to his ribs. As you can see, part of his ribs are taped up. So that is the uh, the the... Opening bell attack by by Steamboat to Regal is uh, you know the reason you know the, the excuse me I'm stumbling over my words here um, is uh, one is of the motivation reasons, really, yeah motivation again, like, yeah, good 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 way of putting it here but I do want to discuss with you briefly um, two things one and we'll start with you Dennis what would you have thought if Dusty was the fourth man and in the War Games match that we will see later tonight instead of the Shockmaster. So someone's gonna tell me, like, at all your roster, we're watching Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Why wasn't he the fourth guy in like, like, like in the? Uh, in, That's in, a good in point. The war games. That's yeah, a good point. Tugboat? Who booked that? Come on. Ole Anderson. Uh, you can thank Ole Anderson oh for that. We'll discuss God. Ole Anderson and his booking later. But you know what though? At, tugboat. On the, on the same side though, these are two mat technicians, two artists of the mat of wrestling that still are under the tutelage of and these guys are these are these are the best of the best i don't shy down on this matchup from a from a from a wrestling junkies perspective whatsoever you need two reliable hands that could kind of be placed somewhere else on the card don't overstack your main event is that what you're kind of saying uh yeah but at the same time let's appreciate this for what it is yeah for who these guys are and i you know that's history treating them the way they are now um these are both amazing professional wrestlers and i say that specifically they, they they're not i don't want to call them you know they are performers they put on a show but they know how to make an entertaining sport means something. Now, here's a, here's a question I have regarding Regal for the both of you. Okay, my opinion: Regal played the the English snob to perfection. Okay, this is 1993. Hypothetically speaking, had Stephen Regal left the World Wrestling Federation at this time, or excuse me, left WCW at this time and went to the World Wrestling Federation. Do you think in 1995 they still would have introduced Hunter Hearst Helmsley as the Greenwich Blue Blood and Snob? Oh, do you, do you think question. Do you think Regal would have been really successful in that role in the WWF? Or do you think they would he have... He was like the Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick? Well, he essentially Hunter Hearst Helmsley is a take is a, the the Greenwich Blue Blood the Greenwich Snob. So you're saying if, if, of, of this Lord Stephen. Sorry, Regal you're character. saying if if Regal was in the place of Paul Levesque, 
would it be as successful? Is that what you're no, saying? I'm saying if Regal went to WWF first after this, okay? Because the two of them uh, tagged together in WCW for a brief period of time. And it was Regal who in uh, an interview on a Triple H retrospective on, the, on an old Triple H DVD had encouraged Triple H to leave WCW and go join the World Wrestling Federation because he will gain more... Um, experience working in the ring uh if regal didn't give him that advice and regal left wcw to go to the wwf first do you still think they would have introduced hunter hearst helmsley the greenwich blue blood character with regal there actually now now you mention it that that, that you mentioned that they i think regal did it so well i think he would have done the mentor to like the like the like the protege type of thing I'm and i bet you they would have had like uh you, you know like triple h turning on regal and like he would have gone and they would have ran with it i i, I jean paul levac i really do think it was common sense what what triple h brought to the table and nobody even saw that and uh but but would i th- would i think would it, like the ultimate warrior versus like like triple h happened at wrestlemania no i totally agree i, I, I i'm gonna i think it changes i'm gonna right disagree there. i think the the forward-thinking, prad, pragmatic Paul Levesque that that is created so much of what WWE is now and is advocating for its future. That's that's who he that's who he is. That's what got that's what the game became. Um, and I think that would have continued if um, you know, regardless of any advocation from from William Regal. That's just my perspective. You know, what I'm saying is that he, the, he was a student of the game, and so, he would have wanted to, I think, be that. If, um, regardless of Regal's, you know, recommendation, if you will, the guy is just, was just so hungry to to learn from every other accounts. You know that, that Regal was a mentor. I don't know if that answers my question, though, in the sense that Regal. If Regal was there with this same character or a, or, a, or a modification of this English snob character in the World Wrestling Federation, would they have introduced Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the Greenwich Blue Blood? I think they would. Dennis is saying it's like a, it's like Regal would be his mentor. Do you think in WWF? In WWF, yes, that's what I'm, that's that's what I'm saying. Provided that Regal even leaves. But that, what I'm saying is, if Regal went there, I'm just I'm, I, I feel like Regal doesn't get enough credit for what he's contributed to wrestling. He's a fine technical wrestler, one of the most underrated wrestlers from a in-ring perspective. Probably okay. going to get a Hall of Fame nod in the near oh, I'm future. I'm sure he will and he deserves it, no doubt. But I think right now he has a, to me he had a character in WCW at the time that was tailor-made for the World Wrestling Federation programming at that time and I felt like in hindsight, now I'm not saying I, I, I knew this back then, but in hindsight, looking at it I feel like he, move here. it would have been very. He would have been very successful yeah. in that role in the under Vince McMahon's creative guidance. I agree. I don't think he would have been as successful as Hunter Hearst. No, Hansen. I don't think so. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you is, is that because he was so good at it, do you think WWF would have pulled the trigger and introduced Hunter Hearst Helmsley into the same? Role or similar role to re- to a Lord Stephen Regal had Regal been in the WWF. That's my point. Um, I mean that's really splitting hairs. 
I, I kind of go with Dennis in the sense that he'll be like the he'll be there you know what I mean he's no, gonna he'll be there and he'll maybe even be like under like the tutelage of Regal and then eventually he would split off and kind of establish himself as you know a one man show uh I, he, honestly that is that is such a minute or not minute but a very specific question I don't think they want William Regal and or Steven Regal in WWF at that time you know what I mean you know, they, especially in WWF's, you know, perspective, they want fresh, new, young talent, and not that he Regal wasn't was, old. Back he then. wasn't old no. for damn sure, but you know, you would think he would have been there then. You they know what would, I mean? but they, they didn't have experienced. I mean, I shouldn't say they didn't have experienced in-ring technicians, but a lot of the characters in WWF at this time were big, bulky. You know. They weren't regarded for their in-ring ability. You had Brett, you had Owen, you had a couple other guys, but for the most part, like from an in-ring perspective, bell to bell, he's like, tapping out. Yeah, that's and, you know what I mean. That's crazy. Well, Nick Patrick's the referee, so we all know how crooked <laughs> Nick Patrick is. Um, but so that, I just, does that make Steamboat crooked? I f- <laughs> but I just feel like Regal, a Lord Stephen Regal character, could have brought something stretch. different. Uh, in 1993 to the World Wrestling Federation. Um, Looking back now, from like an in-ring perspective. That I don't disagree with. Yeah. Um, I just, like I said, we're gonna, I'm going to jump off the rails for a second. Me and Dennis have this debate quite often. You know, as a Vikings fan, he's very excited about the, the Kirk Cousins um, acquisition and the prospects that brings to his team. But as I've said to him, if, there's a reason why Kirk Cousins got signed by the, the Minnesota Vikings. It's because the Washington Redskins didn't want him. So, that's how I would probably oh right there. narrate this Neither idea is that they didn't want Regal. Who knows if he was available, and that could, that's a huge part of it. He had demons too, big demons. He did. He absolutely, and they 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 were with him for the next fifteen twenty years. Um, but again, there it's a fresh you know Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque was a fresh face, was a fresh hungry person wanting to learn. As not that Regal wasn't, but they wanted to mold Hunter into into their own. Yes. and not take something. Yeah, from, yeah, I right. Get it. You're I taking understand. something, nothing from not nothing, but you, you had something, and you could have made it. They wanted to make it something more. Um, I don't think Regal was a guy that they were gonna break the bank for. Let's, yeah. put, let's also remember 1993. Steve Austin was around, and there was some. Apparently, pleading and begging to bring Steve Austin to the WWF in '93. Well, just in this time, '93, '94, '95, it wasn't. It, he wasn't a, a must-get free agent. No. And maybe Regal wasn't a free agent at this time. No. But back to the original question, um, Triple H's talent would have superseded circumstance. I feel like on his, much of which on his own doing, because that's how good and how opportunistic he he was and still is. And that that I think that would have he would have passed Regal in any in any manner. Would it it would have been very cool to see them too though in the WWF. It's interesting that you brought up Austin because you know shortly before this Regal actually filled in for Brian Pillman in a tag team match with Austin at that Clash of Champions uh, a couple weeks prior. Pillman had a. Uh, uh, 
torn ligaments in his ankle. Uh, he was going to try and work the, the, the class show, but unfortunately didn't, and they wrestled uh, Arn Anderson and Paul Roma of the Four Horsemen, who will be wrestling the Nasty Boys later on this card. Um, pretty Paul Roma. Pretty Paul Roma, yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, bring up while we're... Uh, while we're in this rest hold here, <laughs> this uh, modern modernized version of a, a, a surfboard that Regal had put Steamboat in, uh, at this time, Todd Gordon ECW applied for a membership into the National Wrestling Alliance, which the dirt sheets indicate would be turning into a big political battle. Uh, WCW had to get permission from the NWA to allow Barry Windham to lose the title belt to Ric Flair. This is according to who? Uh, the dirt sheets at this time in 1993. Uh, it's, uh, it's either Meltzer or, uh, or or Wade Keller. The hope and belief of some within the National Wrestling Alliance at this time is that this could lead to Ric Flair defending the NWA title in ECW, but that obviously never happened. So my question to you, gentlemen, is: is what if the NWA didn't pull, or what if ECW didn't pull away from the NWA in '94 and Flair actually defended the title in ECW? Would ECW be remembered for what it is today. Oh, no, they wouldn't. But I think you would have gotten a matchup of, say, Shane Douglas versus Ric Flair, which uh-huh. I think would have, in 2018, been more favorable. Um, but no, I, I think the rebel mentality, the revolution, if you will, that ECW was, probably would have a little bit of a different look to it. Mm. With that being said, though, I don't think the the picky of fans today would have would have been reflected in in 1993 people would have looked at it like Ric Flair ECW you know in Philadelphia it would have been a big deal mm-hmm. no doubt for what it's worth for the health of the business because to me as I've always looked at it is I don't care how much drawing power you have with your Ric Flair Hulk Hogan Steve Austin John Cena etc your your drawing power is very much in lockstep with the health of the business. And the health of the business this time wasn't in a good place. No, it certainly wasn't. Um, so, sure, Ric Flair would have probably drawn attention to rinky-dink Eastern slash Extreme Championship Wrestling, but it wasn't going to move a needle, I don't think. But it would have probably brought... Nothing was moving a needle. Yeah, it would, have brought a, it would have brought a cool... Remember when... Like I said on the SummerSlam show a month ago, I mean, the, the, the wrestling industry as a whole was going through a really tough transition because you were in the midst of that steroid trial. And even though it affected the, the, the World Wrestling Federation and Vince McMahon more because Vince McMahon was being indicted by the federal government, as we see a nice combination here of uh, counters with a tombstone pile. Oh, pretty close there. Steamboat dropping Regal on his, on his dome there. Uh, this is Nick Patrick uh, making the count here. But, um, no, what, finish what, what, finish what I'm trying to get here is, is that, um, you know, like I said, nothing was moving the needle. But, you know, I think the steroid trial that adversely affected Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation also really adversely affected the wrestling industry as a whole because – Granted, WCW wasn't putting out the best product, but you were associating pro wrestling with WWF, and anything else that was pro wrestling that wasn't named World Wrestling Federation was seen as a black mark outside of the wrestling 
business. If it, if it was record. seen at all. Yeah, if it, yeah, exactly. If it was seen at all here, as uh, Steamboat goes for the cover. I, I will say, we, we get into, we, we, you know, as, as we're watching this match, one thing that I think people probably would shit on in today's world but weren't so keen to in 1993 is the realism of wrestling, I think, also relates to the struggle in a match. So you see things that aren't so smooth, a, a counter to a counter or a transition from one spot to another uh, doesn't always go so smooth yeah but you know what get into a fight with someone and see how smooth an arm drag goes through, <laughs> yeah. or a choke hold yeah. or a, a, a straight have you ever suplexed somebody in a fight dennis um absolutely not but granted to the listening <laughs> audience of uh kicking it at two i've been in four kind of major fights i'm over four so i'm not much of a fighter well, I'm. Not, you know what? That's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will. I will again. But I think it speaks to the realism of, of a conflict. You know, and in, you know, a physical conflict within a conflict is just the the relationship between the two wrestlers to exchange moves upon one another. That I think when people say, "Oh, they blew that spot," or "Oh, they they messed up this," or "They did that." It doesn't. That's not a clean fight, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't work that way ninety nine times out of a hundred. So, to me, when people, like I said, rate a match on that level, I I always go back to well, when was the oh, oh Dundee with the umbrella spot. shot, German it's suplex, fire. going for the cover two, three, and your new classic W. Television champion, Lord Steven Regal. Before we, uh, we, we we move on to the next match here, uh, I wanted to ask you guys regarding the television championship because I remember as a kid, um, obviously the World Heavyweight Championship, whether it was the NWA or the WCW title, you know, was the highest at that time within WCW. But the TV title, because it was a television title and it was defended so much, I felt doesn't get enough love and credit. Um, history doesn't treat it very kindly because you you saw the best of the best compete for the TV title. Um, would you say WCW's TV championship was the equivalent of the World Wrestling Federation's Intercontinental title? Not even close. Really? No. The, the Intercontinental title to me was the best wrestlers in the world wrestled for that title. Uh, the, the, the World Wrestling Federation championship held by the likes of Hogan... And, you know, Flair, Savage, Warrior, etc. Certainly not the Nasty Boys here as no. we see them with Eric Bischoff. Absolutely not. Formidable, formidable tag team champions, though. But it, it was meant for, you know, again, it was a little more compartmentalized. That title sold tickets. That title sold merchandise. The Intercontinental title put on shows. Uh, the television title, to me, was, was, even, was a step below that. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it was meant to... Um, give meaning to equally talented performers or maybe slightly less equal equally talented performers okay, that's, that's it, that's it provided meaning you know what i mean a guy like booker t and chris benoit you know those guys wrestled for that television title and made it mean something it wasn't the united states championship which was again a half step below the world title mm. but it was something for more guys to vie for because otherwise they weren't doing anything and you know, going back to that Vince Russo, you know, idea of booking, give people meaning on a television show that allows the audience to get to, to to get behind them and to rally behind them, and that's what a television title does. That's what any title does, and I think the television title was a great mid card title. I would 
harken it more to the short-lived European Championship. Here's Who the, the fuck is this? I thought it was Chris Jericho. Right, here's, here's, I really did. Here's the craptacular part of Fall Brawl as the, as the rest of the show just kind of takes a nosedive. Big Sky. Don't know who the fuck that is. Never heard of him before. Where can I get a set of earrings like that? Holy cow. <laughs> um, I mean, like, if you look at him, like, just real quick. If you pause like, That's right Chris now, Jericho. It's Chris, Jer- it's Chris Jericho. Like, how can you not... He looks like an extra in Roadhouse. Oh, God. Do we know who Big Sky is? That's a great point. I do Roadhouse, not... absolutely. I do not know who Big Sky is, but you're not going to know who the It's a gym, guy. by the way. It's a gym. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fitness center in the local New England, Connecticut area. Uh, if you're looking to improve your body, and you want to talk racial stereotypes in wrestling. Nothing says it better than this man right Tatanka here, Tatanka Light, Charlie Norris, Tatanka Light. Oh my god! Oh my god! They were like Jesus, Tatanka. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit to the listening audience and kicking out too. I never heard of Charlie Norris. Remember Richard this Blood? We're gonna give you Tatanka. <laughs> and, and forgive me too. I, yes, I, I've seen this event before. I just don't remember this match. Really? And, uh, yes. This is wild. Was this Young Blood? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it was not. I, this guy Charlie Norris. I don't know who the fuck he was, but this was WCW's answer to Tatanka. Jesse yeah. Ventura makes a very racially um, charged remark in this. Match. Jesse? Oh, no. He, what he he said something as Norris is making his way to the ring that he's the um, the Chico. Heir, he's the heiress to the uh, he's the heir to the. Uh, um, the the Norris uh, something about being you know a, a, a member of a, a, a Native American uh, tribe that owns a casino locally in the Houston that. Texas area so you see you hear a lot of that in fact so during, Norris probably did well for himself after wrestling <laughs> maybe maybe not I don't know but um, this is this is a uh, uh, this is a shit match and luckily oh it's a God. short match but yeah so let's we... talk about something that doesn't relate to this at all okay so all right all right. <laughs> We will, um, as we see uh, the one of the bouncers from Roadhouse uh, squaring off against uh, the, uh, the one deal. of the bouncers from the casino. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the, the guy, de- the guy was, was dealing say, the back rack. I was say, he's definitely <laughs> a bouncer from a Hingan son. No. Yeah, so, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he's the pit boss. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. at the, at the, he's, he's the pit boss in the, uh, the 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 craps table. All right. Uh, at this time, the dirt sheets revealed that Hulk Hogan's Mister Nanny movie has, been, which had been delayed twice for release, will be scheduled. Scheduled for release in the month of September 1993, date unknown at the time. Meanwhile, Thunder in Paradise. Good show, I liked it. I love Thunder in Paradise. I thought that was cool. Ah, I guess uh, I'm the minority here. Will begin airing in March of 1994. Who does not love Thunder in Paradise? I don't. Love it. Thing. I'm a Baywatch I'm a guy, biased. through and through. Protect the Bay. I'm a little biased. Mitch I, Buchanan. I love CJ. I love watching Mortal Kombat and Thunder in Paradise right after, <laughs> right after Nitro. And I'd be the first one to admit, I, I, in, in the uh, in, in the 10th grade, I went on like four hours sleep almost every every month, every Tuesday. Because of wrestling, Thunder in Paradise, Mortal Kombat, I was all in. I remember when Thunder in Paradise used to be the lead-in for Monday Nitro. You used to have Thunder in Paradise for an hour on TNT, and then you had WCW Monday Nitro that would, you know, in the beginning it was originally an hour, and then it became two hours. But um, do you remember the Thunder and Dennis? Do you remember the Thunder in Paradise movie? 
that came I out? I didn't. I didn't know the So it was movie. a pilot that was. Um, it was like I guess it was a, a movie that they decided to turn into a, um, a television show. I remember seeing it at the video store, and it was you know Hulk Hogan, Carol Alt, and Chris Lemon, and I was like, well, if it's Hulk Hogan, it's got to be cool because I was a big Hulkamaniac, still am. Uh, as we see Charlie Norris working on Big Sky here with this uh, modified arm bar of sorts here. Has him on the ground. Referee Pee Wee Anderson delivering the two counts. Sky getting back up here. Norris's shoulders down, but brings him back down to the mat with that arm drag, or arm bar, I should say. As, uh, yeah, Hogan, I loved Thunder in Paradise. I thought it was, um, it was like, I guess, like the... It was like Hulk Hogan's twist on Baywatch, but like the boat and, you know, he had other wrestlers involved in anything like Beefcake, Giant Gonzalez was a part of it, Jimmy Hart. So um, I thought it was cool. I liked it. Maybe, you know, maybe that's another one of our guilty pleasures. You know, oh, you I and totally I share. Agree, Dave. Totally agree. For sure. But uh, I just want to know who thought this. Well, I guess you, I guess I could answer that. Ole Anderson thought this was a great idea to put, you know, these two individuals, Big Sky and Charlie Norris into the mix here. I don't know, man. It seems like a more like a uh, Saturday Night's main event potentially, if that. This if, match? Yeah. If that, if, if that, I think even that's overbooked. If you put him in Saturday Night's main event, you put him. This is. What was that? Global, uh, global, or uh, global worldwide, right. worldwide. It's WCW. a worldwide match. It's yeah, it's a, a WCW worldwide, worldwide, match. worldwide match. That's it's for sure. It's a worldwide match. Yeah, they were taping worldwide at Disney. That's where the like time. the ring was on like a turntable. Yeah, right? yeah. It was pretty cool, actually. I like that. I always um, thought, like, why would they stop the ring table turntable from turning while they're wrestling? I thought that would, I thought that would have been pretty cool if they kept them moving around like that, but. Um, you're, you guys are probably wondering, as, as we mentioned earlier, this is Eric Bischoff's first WCW pay-per-view as the executive producer. At the time, uh, according to Mr. Bischoff himself on his 83 Weeks podcast, uh, he was not in charge of the creative at the moment. Ole Anderson was in charge of the, uh, the storylines. Well, that explains a lot. Bischoff was uh, just kind of... Uh, he was on like the more technical side. Yeah, he was overseeing the production um, in, in terms of you know the camera work and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know the, the finances. Spot. The job spot right here. Oh, oh. Yeah. sorry, sorry, that's a Braves thing. Sorry, Mets fans. Florida State University, right? In Florida State, do the time. Yeah, I'm a U fan, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bury yeah. that. Oh, right there, oh, kick one. to the head. We go for the cover. Two, three, and thank That guy God. did nothing good in this match. Thank God this match is over. Yeah. What was, was the name again, uh, Dave? From Charlie Norris. Charlie Norris. Good to see you, buddy. Charlie Norris, yeah. Well, it was you. nice knowing you. Yeah. You know that guy has been trying to work shoot interviews with, like, all the, like, the, like, the dirt sheets for years trying to tell his story. And they're like... Okay, his thank Mac, you. His 13 Mac minutes classic. later. His Matt Classic with Big Sky. What did you think of Big Sky? Uh, you know, we had a good little six-minute match. Yeah, so okay. five stars. Yeah, Jeff Gerber's five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh my God, he probably lives on the Meltzer. Yeah. All right, so here's an interesting story. We, we brought him up earlier, and uh, you know we'll kind of touch upon it now. Uh, pro wrestling torch writer Mark Madden had contacted WCW Pride of Pittsburgh about accepting Ole Anderson's ten thousand dollar offer for any dirt sheet writer to step in the ring with him. Ole went back on the WCW hotline and said Madden was fat than Haystacks Calhoun, but never agreed to That's... Madden's acceptance of the challenge. So then Madden faxed WCW a letter asking for the check, which led to Ole Anderson going back on the hotline again and basically saying he meant it all in 
fun and dropped it. Bluff called score one for Mark Madden. That's basically... And that's how it begins. That's basically... Who is that guy? Hold okay, on, stop. All right, I'll, I'll Does that look Brian if I've ever seen him? I'll tell you. Uh, what's that? What's that? Uh... Apparently, this is an individual who won a contest okay. through WCW to interview um, someone on the pay-per-view. And this is my apology. Interviewer. Uh, I believe he has uh, multiple sclero- sclerosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the kid's name uh, as I feel like I'm a doing dick the research. Now. I feel like a dick, too. So, uh, yeah, you guys are both dicks. No, look right at now. the ribbon. Like, what's the ribbon about? That's what I was saying. I, su- I support all those with, with multiple handicaps Absolutely. and disabilities. Absolutely, me too, me too, me too. That's my disclaimer. I, I applaud the person that assumed this role. And I'm quite jealous. Uh, once again, I am sorry. And by the way, we're not listening to audio currently, by the way. No, this is you're listening to us. You're our alternate commentary yes, yes, here yes, on yes. WCW Fall Brawl 1993. So I'm just saying, some of these people probably listening are just like, I, you know, they're listening. And like, how, can, how dare these boys heckle this gentleman? And like, we didn't get any audio. And then we saw it. And then. Whatever. Yeah, so I should have smartened them up to that, you know, I, my mistake here. But, uh, yeah, so Mark Men basically um, accepted the challenge because of Ole Anderson's uh, way of storytelling. As we see our next match here, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff teaming with the Equalizer, who would later be known as Dave Sullivan. I, I was going to guess Star. that, and... That's wow! I'm kind of proud of myself. Look at the look at the fall from grace here. Paul Orndorff was main eventing all around the world. WrestleMania one. Main event WrestleMania one, but he was also main eventing with Hulk Hogan. um, A few years later, following that WrestleMania, uh, to then eventually becoming, uh, you know the. It's a Hall of Famer. You know, no, Paul he's Wonder- a Hall of Famer, but what he, but his run in WCW here, you got to think, yeah. looking at this, money even grab. with the money equalizer. Grab. Money grab. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, that was, a, that was a, a, I wouldn't say a quick paycheck. If nothing else in this business, we've, I think, begun to realize as fans is follow the money. Yeah. You know, if you see a guy that you know is far better than his potential, you probably got a nice paycheck out of it. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so the Equalizer and Paul Orndorff, and Mr. Wonderful. Like that is too cold, Scorpio, no, and, and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Oh, that is Marky Boy. Future, future porn star. Off the stuff. He's Buffy actually a male. He's porn? actually a male. I never knew. He's a male escort right now. Yeah. If you, wow. go. I, saw, I saw a, a documentary on male escorts. I don't know what. Showtime HBO. You go to cowboysforangels.com. Yeah. He has a whole resume and a list yeah, of, his, of his fees. Get out. Yeah. Spent, well, so, so the only reason why I know this, not because I browsed myself, but because Conrad Thompson and Tony Schiavone did this on their podcast recently. And uh, Conrad was reading off like Buff's fees. And apparently, if you want to spend a week with Buff, and. and Which sounds pretty awesome. And, and just and get, <laughs> a week with Buff. And get some of Buff stuff. It's going to cost you 25 grand wow that's insane yeah but you know what you say it's funny you say that because like i said the documentary i watched and i don't remember where it came from it was but he was like a a a part of the documentary and that they were recruiting him to be one of these escorts and they kind of talked about his wrestling background and how they were going to teach him the ins and outs if you will of being an escort which i didn't know you had to teach that but you know what teach his own and you know buff bagwell marcus alexander bagwell if you will uh was able to kind of carve out a nice little post wrestling career too skull too cold scorpio what a talent my favorite gimmick though for two score scorpio is still flash funk are you I, fucking I, serious i thought it was a good gimmick oh my god i, I, thought it was a good gimmick. Another I gimmick. liked but i li- okay i liked it 
like you. I However, didn't. when I found out who he was outside of Flash Scorpio, which is like a lot of my mid '90s discovery of wrestling and people outside of WWF, and I found out who he was to Cold Scorpio, I was like, "Why isn't he that? Why That's can't he just point. be a That's badass?" That's my whole point. It should have been. It should have been. Flash, Flash Funk was been, cool. It should have been the climax of Two Scorpio was Flash Funk. You're right though. His move set was not Two Scorpio. But you know what? His move set at Flash Funk was still different and unique to the product of WWF yeah, yeah. than it was prior. So I will say, I will say that he brought something unique. In a presentation and match quality that wasn't really offered in WWF. Oh, absolutely! I'll never forget my first introduction to Two Cold Scorpio. He was Ron Simmons' mystery partner in a tag team match on a Clash of Champions. And I don't—I forget who they wrestled against, but Scorpio did that 450, his finisher. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever saw someone do that. I was like, "Holy shit, that guy's cool!" Like I never saw anybody fly around like that at the time, and that's what like kind of attracted me to Scorpio. So when he became Flash Funk in the WWF, granted, he still had a similar move set but I was like he looks fucking silly like this yeah. like, why can't they just let him be too cold Scorpio that's what he built his reputation on um, you know and and Bagwell here uh, you know the brief run that they had as a tag team uh, was definitely um, in the early stages of his career Bagwell it's funny that we just talked about Bagwell's escort career so to speak Bagwell started out um, down in uh, Texas I really? In global. Had no idea. As the handsome stranger. Which oh, was kind of like a jiggle. I vaguely remember that. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, like, that would have been, per- like, bring that back now. <laughs> yeah, he goes around the convention circuit with 8 by 10s as the oh, handsome the stranger. Handsome stranger. I mean, that's. Just sit on your thing. hand and let it fall asleep, man. That's a very, right away, isn't it a very strange, uh, like, place to, to put the, the, put the announcers, by the way? Well, again, there's two, there's two rings. That's what I mean. Yeah. I still think that was very But they still could have put a booth up over by the end. By exactly. The, uh, the, the, the but you know what I will say this. Marcus Bagwell, Buff Bagwell, as we know him to be, who shares a birthday with yours truly, January 10th. I don't know what year he was born, or does it matter? Um, but... Uh, Buff Bagwell, I always his look carried him a long way. Oh, absolutely! I yeah. thought I didn't think he was. He looked set, like a fucking star. Yeah, you know, like he was like Lex Luger with a mouth on him. I was really shocked when he when uh, he failed in the WWE. I was actually very shocked. Well, there's a whole story behind that. We, I'm sure we'll go into it some other point. Said, but I would say, oh, dude, the, pr- the proof is in the pudding. I thought he was gonna. No, I would agree with you. Yeah, like, all right. You want me to tell you? You want me to tell you the buff story? Because I know I got this firsthand Uh, from from an individual who was who worked in the WWF at the time with him. It's not a it's not a new story, by the way, what we're hearing, but it's still a unique insight on what happened. So, you know, I'm I'm friends with uh, Shane Hurricane Helms, and at the time, this was when WCW was bought out and the the World Wrestling Federation had acquired some of the guys from the buyout of WCW, Hurricane and Buff were a part of that. And Shane wasn't playing the Hurricane character at the time. Um, Sugar Shane. The best version of Helms that I, in my opinion, but... Yeah, I like... I I prefer that... Sugar Shane. I prefer that better, but don't get me wrong, the Hurricane was pretty cool, too. Yeah. Um, So anyhow, they had sent some of the WCW guys to... um, As we see a, a... Reverse of a crossbody here, no count. Chain wrestling right there, and uh, good wrestlers on the ring. Yeah, yeah, with the exception of the equalizer. But uh, you know, uh, so anyhow, Bagwell, Helms, 
A few other WCW guys were training in a ring at what they called tracks at the time for the WWF. It was like an old warehouse, like somewhere it's in, in like, Stanford, right? Like Stanford, Norwich kind of area. Um, and so they wanted those guys to get used to that ring and, and, and wrestle the WWF style at the time. And, um, Helms and Helms and according to according to Shane, when I had spoken with him about this a number of years ago, uh, him and Bagwell, they didn't not get along, but they butted heads at times. And uh, Bagwell kind of went into it like he was the the best wrestler from that carryover that from the purchase of WCW. So he was in, in a way trying to he was really trying to show up some of the other guys and and really form himself a spot on the roster so he was a little cocky when they were you know going through some of the motions and training and things like that and um he uh you know he kind of talked down to shane in some ways according to shane and shane didn't appreciate that anyhow long story short um all the guys are you know busting on each other ribbing each other so to speak you know joking around whatever and uh bagwell said something about shane and shane threw it back to him about um about uh you know something about uh your mother clips your toenails in the locker room or something like that you're a mama's boy or whatever and bagwell didn't take too kindly to it and um he shoved him and shane took a water bottle that was frozen and cracked him in the head yikes <laughs> and it's like throwing a brick at someone honestly yeah, that really is it was, it was a frozen water bottle that they were using and he fucking cracked him and uh, you know, Bagwell's got his version of the story. The only story I know is that, um, you know, the, according to Shane, he hit him in the head and Bagwell ran off into the bathroom after Bagwell had kind of talked all kinds of shit. Bagwell didn't like it that Shane gave it back to him, according to Shane. And so Shane goes to TV the next week and he's, he's like, oh, fuck, I'm fired. I'm fired. I'm done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they, they want to do something with Bagwell. They barely have any plans with me. Like, I, I totally fucked myself here. And so uh, he sees... Um, He's, he's kind of standing over there with the Hardys and he sees Johnny Ace walking up and the Hardys walk away because they figure, okay, Ace is going to confront Helms about it. And Ace doesn't say anything to him and Helms just, Shane just kind of just says, Johnny, that motherfucker deserved it. He was talking so much shit. He got in my face. He, you know, physically put his hands on me, blah, blah, blah. You know, that motherfucker talked so much shit and da, 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 da. And like, he thought he was getting in trouble, but he figured if he's going to go out, he's going to go out in a blaze of glory and defend himself. And Ace was like, no, I get it. I understand. Like, he's got a big mouth and, you know, he, he kind of had it coming to him and, you know, between that and then I think, you know, his poor performance um, with the match with Booker T, that signaled the end of his of his time in W in, in the, the, the WWF with this WCW invasion. But according to Shane, it was Bagwell ran his mouth and, uh, you know, he, he, he tried to bully Shane and Shane was like, I'm not going to fucking let you bully me around. So he he stood up for himself. And, for him. you know, that was that was the end of that. And, you know, that's you, what that's what I know. My account it's, of it's it. interesting you say it that way because history has also showed us from other people's accounts that a guy like Vince McMahon likes someone like that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like buff? Don't no, no, a guy that you don't like getting pushed around, you don't like, you know, ha- someone having their way with you. You you stick up for yourself. You stand up for yourself. The one story I heard and I don't remember who recounted the story, but Vince McMahon was holding a talent meeting and He's walking around the room up and down the, the you know the the room we're in where all the talent are in and he for whatever reason selected to step on this one individual's foot. 
I don't remember who the individual was. Probably someone who's no longer there. But he kept stepping on that person's foot as he was pacing up and down, making his speech of sorts. And then eventually, in the speech, he he had said to that person, called them out in the middle of the meeting and said, I've been stepping on your foot and walking all over you, if you will, all this meeting, last 30 minutes. What the hell's your problem? And the guy was like, uh, you know, he kind of wasn't really sure how to react to that. And, and that was kind of the, the lesson learned. Don't let people walk all over you. You stand know, up for yourself, stand up yeah. for yourself. And I've heard that, and I've, and I've heard that theme kind of like, you know, theorized related to Chris Candido. People lost a lot of respect for the late Chris Candido as far as his dealings with his, his he personal. Knew Shawn Michaels was fucking sunny, and yeah, they kind of still had or, a relationship. Yeah, or he refused to believe it, or what have you. And that's that. That brings about a whole personal relationship aspect that I think any one of us who has a relationship doesn't want to dare walk down. But, you know, to many people in the locker room, we lost a lot of respect for people because it was so blatant, it was so obvious what was happening to him to his face and behind his back that he chose not to uh, make something of it. Yeah. And I think, again, that's, that's kind of, I think, the lesson that they try to teach you within those four walls of WWE where, as a superstar, as a performer, as a professional, is don't let people walk all over you. And... A guy like Shane stood up for himself. And yeah. while that may be looked at as frowned upon, in most professional settings, WWE said, you know what? Good for you, man. Like, you stood up for yourself, and you stood up to this asshole. Yeah. And guess what? Shane Helms had a very long, successful career in, WC- in WWE as a WW- as a <laughs> in WWE as a WCW carryover. So there's a reason for that. Yeah, there was respect earned very early on that. Also, he was very talented too. So of course, of course, yeah. So we see, you know, action really picking up. I, you know, I, I watched this earlier this week. I wasn't really impressed with it, um, but you know, there's some spotty moments here where you're, you know. And it's amazing too because Paul Lundorf is obviously a Hall of Famer, first ballot, if you will. Um, Again, right away. main evented the inaugural WrestleMania, which to me is like oh miscommunication there, and, and the, the four fifty right oh, there, beautiful. smooth, beautiful, and the three count, two cold Scorpio, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, the victors as the equalizer, gonna get the heat back and go after Scorpio from behind with his furry boots, the leg drop. It's funny that he just took a four fifty splash and then kind of like no sell it out to the one. Yeah, he pulled a young buck. He tumbled. He, <laughs> he, he, he pulled a young buck. He tumbled out of there. Borndorf with the knee from the top rope. Both individuals now putting the boots, putting the work to Scorpio. Their work's not done yet. Oh, Bagwell coming in, oh, making the save. The handsome stranger. If Couldn't you let him get Jesus, over a little what bit. What the hell was that? You saw that suplex? Orndorff probably like, what the fuck are you doing? Keep Better days were behind him, for sure. Orndorff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was unfortunate, because... Oh, the day that broke my heart, though, when he when he uh, gave... I forgot who it was. He, who he actually gave the pile driver to, but he broke his own neck when he gave someone else yeah, the pile driver. Yeah, it, it was actually at... The, the final fall brawl in the year 2000, Paul Orndorff was teaming with the filthy animals to take on the natural right, born thrillers. Right. It was the last of... How apropos that you, that you brought that up. I didn't mean to do that, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's I really good. Didn't, I really no. Didn't. Say you meant it, damn it. Oh, yeah. We're oh, live. Yes, yes, I meant it. I meant it. Yes, you're right there. And here we oh, are. Here's the, the new champion of 
the television of WCW. Lord Steven Regal and Bill Dundee, yeah. As a kid, I remember knowing who Bill Dundee was and then not recognizing who Bill Dundee was in this role until later. Until he told me, I had no idea. Yeah, no, me either. Ken Dahl asking all the hard-hitting questions. Eric Bischoff. An individual I'm sure we will discuss at length at some point during this show in the future and kicking out it too. But, uh, you know, looking back, um, he had the look of a great announcer, but he, he wasn't – He was. he's a better businessman and executive than he was an announcer, that's I for sure. That. An announcer, opinion. yes. As a talent, great talent. Playing oh, that character? Playing yeah, that absolutely. boss. You know, as he did in '96. He doesn't get credit for being the evil boss. Everyone, even more so in WWE. Yeah, I do oh, admit yeah. that took a lot of guts to take a fucking jackknife power bomb from Kevin from Kevin Nash in, uh, through like, tables and whatever it was. You know, that, oh. that was a good spot. That was a good spot. That yeah. took a lot of balls. That was pretty he scary could, too. He could have hurt. He could hurt himself really bad. While we're uh, while we're here for a moment. Uh, Here's an interesting fact that I had uh, researched on the dirt sheets, and uh, you know what? Actually, I'll save that one for later as we uh, we, we get to this next match here. Tech Slashinger and Shanghai Pierce. Guess who's under that mask? No, I don't. I don't know. Henry Godwin. No Whoa. way. And and Tech Slashinger there to the left is Phineas Godwin. Oh wow! Oh yes, yes. Look at that. Wow. That's Harry Godwin can in I, the match though? Can I say one thing no. that I that I feel like could be really cool on one on a particular WWE brand and I don't know what is that that completely level ramp to the ring. I always thought it was like the just, long ramp? Yeah. I loved it too. Yeah, why not have that on like you know, and again, who knows? An NXT or a 205 Live or NXT UK. Just it's just I a, dig it too. It's I, a different I totally look. Dig it, yeah. It's a different I, look. I, I think that would just be so cool. That was what, in some ways that, and here comes something that's not cool. Oh, Ice Night Train. train right? I liked yeah. Ice Train. I did not. I did not. I was, I don't know, it just didn't really do it for me. I guess he's going over for this match. I do not remember this match at all, but I'm guessing. Charismatic African American, swings the towel around, very athletic. Um, I liked Ice Train. I remember. I remember the breakup of Ice Train and Scott Norton. I was so sad. Fire and ice. I yeah. was so sad. Fuck, I thought they really? had potential. What's the matter with you guys? Yeah. What could have been the tag team episode missed out on Ice Train and 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 Scott Fire Norton? I'm telling you, I love I love big hosses like that. I do. I, don't get me wrong, I do too, but I just didn't. I loved Norton. I thought Norton was a very underrated big man in wrestling and what he brought. And he obviously made his bones in Japan, and he still works in Japan now. But uh, I was not the biggest fan of the Ice Train and uh, Scott Norton combination as a tag team here. Um, definitely, you can see with with this match in front of us. Here, You're ugly, Slossinger. Put a mask on. Yeah, but the other one over there, Naked Midian. No, he's cool. He doesn't need to wear a mask at all. Wait, Midian's not. That. Midian doesn't have the mask on. No, that's no. That's Mid- Eric Godwin. Yeah. That's Henry, yeah, look, he just took the hat off. That's Phineas right there down the floor. Dude, dude dude's a world class chef now. I know. I heard about that. Which one, Phineas or Earl? Phineas? Phineas. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's like a. He, you better address his ass as chef. Yeah. Chef Phineas. I know. He, he, chef Midian. He took <laughs> naked chef. <laughs> oh, that there you go. There, that's yeah. how you, that's how you book him. Naked, naked, kind of naked like chef. chef. I, I do admit that he looks like a 
Yeah. Chef coat and a fanny pack. Oh, <laughs> my God. I smell money. Oh, yes. <laughs> to Dennis I... Knight, if you are listening to this podcast, allow us to uh, handle your bookings from now on when you make the convention circuit. Maybe we'll get you a spot back mm. on uh, the WWE roster. Dennis Knight. Dennis Knight, yes, that was his name. And uh, Henry Godwin, known as Mark Canterbury. At once, they were Southern Justice, uh, the, uh, the clean-cut cronies of uh, Double J Jeff Jarrett in the Attitude Era in 1998. Double Justice. Wow. I know, right? You remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah so so and that's what's interesting about a show like this is that like you're seeing a lot of guys when they first started trying on these stupid silly gimmicks and then eventually this the, was the cream rises if you will and and these guys find other places to get over find other ways to get over um so props to the godwins there um Richard Henry uh, like seriously like, like that was a hard given to get over and he and he got over big time if you ask me well, Billy, I mean, yeah. yeah well I mean Hillbilly Jim was his manager that I'm sure helped like the whole time and when, like, when he finally slapped Sonny and all that other stuff oh that was that, great that, stuff that, 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 oh, the man, hog pen the hog pen match with tri- with a uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley what about when Sonny fucked Phineas to, to, to get a shot at the tag team titles yeah. man if we only understood what that really meant at the time <laughs> Yeah. Interesting, very interesting stuff look, here. Man, look at this big bastard of Ice Train. What does he do now? He looks like he's probably like a running backs coach for like Permian High in Texas. Yeah, I can see that. You know what I mean? You know what he did following a raw the raw athlete following the Ice Train character? He was still employed with WCW. He played Ernest the Cat Miller's limo driver, MI Smooth. That's yes. <laughs> Oh, Wait, Ernest that, the Cat Miller had a run as the commissioner of WCW. Yeah, yeah. Smooth was his uh, was his man. Okay, it was, you know, okay. it was like his like his assistant, so to speak. He was the Alfred to uh, to to Bruce the cat's Wayne. Batman. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, so to speak. Even though the you know the cat didn't exemplify anything that Bruce Wayne does. Uh, suplex here by Ice Train with referee Pee Wee Anderson calling the action. Uh, Referee Pee Wee Anderson, one of the underrated referees in, totally in agree, all Dave. of wrestling. Totally agree. My favorite, and this may sound really sick and twisted, but my favorite referee Pee Wee Anderson moment was when uh, he helped the Steiners beat the Outsiders at that NWO sold out pay per view, and then Bischoff fired him because yes. he took he took a, he accepted a gift of tickets and they call it you know gratis or whatever as an employee of WCW and then like two weeks oh, Jesus oh, he nice dropped it on his head and that's it right there I as it ended the victory as it should have ended damn man was he, it holy cow he I thought a, it was terrific he had to chew on that one oh, he almost dropped him on his head holy oh, cow that was not very coordinated but Pee Wee's moment was when he brought his kids out to Nitro to to have them beg Bischoff for his job back and Bischoff says there kids could you please tell your daddy that he still fired (laughs) and you just see the look on their faces and then like Hall and Nash were doing commentary and here's the uh Here's the spot here. Watch this. He just, I thought it was a great slam. Oh, look, I really do. Look at his head, though. His head almost hit the ground first before the rest of his body did. Uh, you know, we're bloodthirsty for violence yeah, these days. Yeah, why, you know. why am I? Why am I? Uh, At the end of the day, I mean, I'm an ECW boy, so that's true. Yeah. If you can almost kill yourself, it's great. Because we see an <laughs> oh. ad for the 1993 Halloween Havoc, which would be eventually headlined by Cactus Jack and Big Van Vader in that a spin-the-wheel, make-the-deal match. match. Uh, we'll see Cactus later on in this program. A shot of uh, Tony Schiavone and 
Jesse the Body Ventura. I don't know all the action yet, but that's a sweet jacket. I did. I I mentioned it's a Jericho jacket. That is an awesome jacket. No, you you might even said Jericho jacket. Let's just be honest. That's a sweet jacket. That's an awesome jacket. Absolutely. Ventura definitely knew how to. uh, He he brought the uh, the the color. It's a color commentary. Oh my god, that's a great way to put it. With with his with his presentation, you know, not just you know what he said and what he delivered with his words, but his presentation in and of itself. You didn't have anyone at that time, um, even years before this, that you know stood out so much on color commentary in terms of a character presentation you know both the color and play-by-play guy looked the same they'd wear the same sports coat or tuxedo or whatever ventura was you know the feather boas the sunglasses the funky hats the you know the 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 colors that popped you know he he made himself stand out and that's one of the things that i think jesse doesn't get enough credit for even though he may have ripped off superstar billy graham with his look but he brought that in a different way with the commentary uh, so we're our next match here on Fall Brawl. Uh, whoo! Someone who was all the way live, Missy Hyatt leading the Nasty Boys to the ring for their tag team title match. The Nasty Boys had alluded to earlier that they had a surprise for the Four Horsemen in that uh, you know promo they cut with Eric Bischoff and. Uh, you know, Missy was, uh, you know, before there was internet, Missy had worked some uh, WCW Worldwide tapings that they had just started at Disney, uh, escorting the Nasty Boys to the, uh, to, to, to the matches and that they had taped prior to this. So, you know, like I said, before there was internet, the pay-per-view audience and the audience that, you know, watched WCW, this was a surprise for uh, Missy and the Nasties uh, and their association together. Uh I thought Missy Hot, Missy Hyatt was smoking hot. Oh, absolutely. Even though she's regarded as being, you know, one of the the biggest, you know, her reputation, of course, does not speak very kindly of her. Let's just be honest. Jemmy Jameson's still hot. You know what I mean? The, the, oh, the fuck no. Hot. She was hot on Sons hot. of Anarchy hot recently. She looked like she she <laughs> fucking lived at the bottom of a crack pipe. She looked so fucking worn out. It was, ugh. Old Jenna Jameson, maybe. New, Gen- get a dick, New Jenna Jameson? No, nah, fuck that. Um, that is hot. As we see, uh, you know, Arn Anderson and Paul Roma eventually making their way towards the ring. The Four Horsemen, the World Tag Team Champions here. Uh, interesting to note, the Dirt Sheets had discussed this um, around this time, but Terry Taylor was expected to be brought in as the fourth member of the Horsemen, um, but WCW, for whatever reason, did not um, follow through with that. Maybe because the acceptance of... Paul Roma as a fourth horseman wasn't taken too kindly. By well, the I mean that red that rude that red rooster gimmick still follows him to this day, man. Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, when you when your biggest rival is uh, the Brooklyn Brawler, you know you just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy you wrestle to when you start wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Not the guy that you make the most money off of. I'll be honest with you, as a kid, I was like, huh, Paul Roma, but at the same time, because I wasn't as sophisticated as of a viewer, um, I looked at Paul Roma as somewhat legitimate during his time in the World Wrestling Federation with his run in Power and Glory with Hercules. Okay. In some ways. But at the same time, you know, when, when they revealed, you know, who the fourth horseman was going to be, I was looking for Tully or Barry or even Lex Luger, you know, despite Lex being in the WWF because I did not... 
really buy into Lex Luger as the American hero. Mm. And I discussed that uh, at great length in the uh, SummerSlam 93 review episode with Bill Brown. Check out the archives over at SoundCloud.com. Uh, as we see uh, in-ring in introductions of Missy Hyatt, the Nasty Boys, as they challenge the Four Horsemen for the World Tag Team Championship. This match goes roughly about 30 minutes, and after watching it back, it had no business going 30 minutes. That's for sure. Is it really going to be a 30-minute match, Dave? Yeah. Shit. Wow. Yeah. So because my point is, so you bring out the positive perspective of Paul, of Paul Romo, and like you know, Power, Power, Glory, the Four Horsemen. Yeah. I remember him at the negative, at the negative uh, light of him. My that that is so. I grew up Strike Force, Young Stallions with Jim Powers. I was trying to tackle and say that the the young jobbers, if you will. Yeah. So when I saw, so my image of Paul Paul Romo is that he's a jobber, and like how dare he go from jobber to four horsemen? I think that's what everybody's, like, uh, big beef is, like, you gotta earn your stripes, you know? Let me ask you guys something. If Romo wasn't put in as a horseman, and they tried to do something different with him, do you think he had a, do you think he had a chance to be successful, or do you think he was doomed from the get-go? Um, from a guy like me, doomed from the get-go. Once you become a jobber, and... and kind of sticks with you? And, you know, here's the thing. So, like, you got to earn your stripes. So, so everyone once upon a time, I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin, that, 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 that uh, late 80s footage of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he was a jobber. So everyone's got to make their make their dues and whatever, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. You just can't go from jobber to superstar. Once you do that, you're going to be rejected. You're going to... You, we could, we you're could, not taking it seriously. Exactly. You're not buying you're it. Not, not just that. You didn't... You didn't, you didn't, like, you change your image, you know what I mean? In, in between, you got to be jobber to win some matches, getting over. you got to build yourself whatever, up you know? a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, they, okay. They didn't do that with Paul Romo. I can, they just it instantly became became Jimmy Powers' bit, uh, like, and he, seriously, if you look at some of, some of the um, Young Stallions footage, it was Romo t- eating the pin, too. So so not only was Jimmy Powers a jobber, he's even a good jobber, and he's the one eating the pin. What do you think? He's the super jobber, right? So that's yeah. what I mean. So the image I, was that he was a jobber. You have to earn your spot. While we are on the subject of enhancement talents and jobbers, I found this picture recently on social media, and I will uh, I'll post it to uh, our Kicking Out at Two social media on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit the like button if you already haven't. But if you have, tell all your friends that love throwback pro wrestling banter, if you will, to join the fun at kicking out at two on Facebook. And the same thing goes over on Twitter. We do, you know, all kinds of crazy madness that uh, we, we incorporate on Facebook. It applies over on Twitter as well. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. The same fun, the same madness, but 140 characters or less. Uh, I'll be posting this picture shortly over there on Kicking Out at 2 later today. Uh, but we talk about enhancement talent, uh, you know, the worst of the worst, so to speak, you know, while we're on the subject of Paul Roma. But there can't be anyone worse from a, a name perspective than Ken Raper. And I have the what? picture right here. Look at this. Take a look at this. You see that? Oh, that's a prototypical raper. I can't understand how this guy never got over. 
with a name like that. Uh, that is pretty awesome. Can you believe <laughs> that? Can you believe that shit? So it, we talk about Paul Roma and his contributions or lack thereof and what he could be remembered for, but he is certainly no Ken Raper. That's for sure. That's the, awesome. The, 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 the good guys here have cleaned house on the dastardly evil bad guys known as the Nasty Boys with Missy Hyatt trying to collect the team's uh, wherewithal and hope oh look at that a dollar, a dollar bill. bill someone dropped a dollar bill was it missy it come out of her shorts or her, her her leotard or whatever you want to call it um right now it, it, by the way this is one of my biggest pet peeve of war games so there's another match going on Art Anders is not in the ring why is the ref not calling uh, counting him out right now for a 10 count he should be keeping getting, getting, oh excuse me. The, 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 one of somebody should be getting counted out right now. Oh, he was kind of he's, he's right. kind of counting it there a little bit. But yeah, here's he's the thing: I've seen time. matches before. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, that's okay. Kid got on it too. That that, that uh, where people have been on the other ring and not being counted out. That's my biggest pet peeve of war games, non war game match, where someone's in the other ring and not getting counted out. I guess I mean. You make a good point. I mean, the, like, the, the sanctioned match is taking place in that ring. If you go in the other ring, I mean, it should be considered a count-up. But at the same time, you're also in the in, in a wrestling ring, so it shouldn't really matter. So in, this is what I want, Dave, by the way, for a finish for a match of non-war games. During a war games pay-per-view, I want one guy to be in one ring, right? And, and, but he doesn't know he's getting counted out. Mm-hmm. And then the one guy could get, get maybe get the finisher in on him or whatever, being the legitimate ring. So one guy's in one ring, right? The guy that, that that's just like that, that's like that, that's like got the finisher on him, being in the legitimate ring. While the other wrestler who was like but, but get, get get counted out, hit the finisher on the other ring, getting counted out. Why why pinning the other dude? Where it's like nine. Eight, but he's pinning the other dude. One, two, you know, but he gets counted out. I would love that. You're not going back to the countdown again, are you? Like that debate we had on our guilty pleasures with the fucking clock? Oh, no, 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 no. I just want to make sure. I'll go to war with you on that one. I know it's hard. uh, I know know I'm trying to try to explain something very difficult, but I just want one guy, like, 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 pretend like a Stone Cold Steve Austin versus a rock or something, right? War games, right? Not during the war games event, but not the war games match. The legal guy. Is in the wrong ring, is what you're saying. Exactly. And they're going with the finish in the wrong ring. Exactly. Exactly. And the guy's getting counted out, and it's kind of, kind of, kind of like, but, but like, everyone thinks like the the hero per se. So the match wasn't sanctioned in ring two, it was sanctioned in ring one. Exactly. The finish took place in ring two. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Okay. I get it. I always wanted that finish. I never got that. That could be an interesting twist. I think it'd be amazing. I think I can get behind that. That would be an interesting twist. It's almost like a dusty finish. I guess you could, you could kind of call it. There. You have to go crowd and everyone pops and it's like and, and everyone thinks that we got a new champion but it's like haha the heel won the whole time you, the, the, your face champ your face that everyone wants to win got counted out and the and the heel that was the champion going in of course it retains you know it'd be a, I think that'd be an awesome finish. Here's a here's something interesting that I I stumbled upon in my research during this uh, the, the, this time period here uh, apparently. Uh, uh, over in the World Wrestling Federation, a couple things took place. Number one, um, about a month prior to this, Hulk Hogan worked his final date for the World Wrestling Federation on a European tour. Um, despite being pulled from SummerSlam and not mentioned on TV, he stuck around and continued his contractual dates and worked uh, European shows 
which we, he was advertised for, uh, wrestling Yokozuna and, and uh, you know, being DQ'd. Now. Did it say what the location was, Steve? They, I don't, uh, in, in, in the research I've done, they couldn't provide exactly where over in Europe okay. um, where he wrestled, but I know that he wrestled Yoko, and uh, at one point I think he wrestled Giant Gonzalez on a European show. Um, you'll have to go back and, and try and search that through the archives, maybe on YouTube. I don't think it's on uh, the network at the time. But uh, here's a question I got for you both, since this, you know, is a Paul Roma match and there's really no serious interest from the three of us. Uh Hogan went to WCW in 94, in June of 94. What if he went to WCW at this period in time, in 93? What if he was a part of this event, Fall Brawl, making either an appearance or as the fourth guy in the war, in the war Games match? Anybody's been in shock. It would, have made, it, it would have automatically had more interest, without a doubt. Yep. Um... And it could have probably helped lay the groundwork to build to what they ended up doing in his eventual debut. With I think, him and Flair? Yeah, I think ultimately Hulk Hogan at this stage in life was a, was a brand name that they could have done stuff with. So, yeah, I think there, there would have only been positives that would have come out of that. It was also during this time period that allegedly, according to the dirt sheets, that the World Wrestling Federation wanted all of their wrestlers to move to the Northeast in order to cut down on transportation costs since so many of the shows are in that area, as well as Titan Towers headed, you know, in uh, Stamford, Connecticut. Randy Savage reportedly made the decision to move to Connecticut in order to set an example for the rest of the locker room. There were rumors at the time that Savage was offered the role as one of the bookers. But Bruce Pritchard on his podcast has debunked those rumors. Steve Kern, who is known as Skinner in the World Wrestling Federation, oh, yes. claims he was offered a position as a booking assistant but turned it down because he still wanted to wrestle. So I ask of you gentlemen, um, discuss with me the state of the industry at the time based off of this speculation with the steroid trial leaving a black mark on wrestling in general. Um, Raw was originally set to debut um, in a warehouse that the World Wrestling Federation was going to purchase and turn into a makeshift arena in the New York, Connecticut area. So give me your thoughts on uh, you know, the industry as a whole in 93, uh, this news of you know, resulting, in my opinion, of this, this alleged uh, news of uh, the company wanting their talents to move closer to the northeast and uh, the prospects of uh, randy savage being the head booker and even the stuff with uh, monday night raw in the warehouse um i know it's a lot to chew on so i think that um again it's just a cost-cutting measure um yep. you know despite the fact that this is the region of the country we call home mm -hmm. um it's not a very desirable place to live otherwise and i'm sure probably wasn't even more so in 1993 um it's a business move uh, so I so I can't see it as being anything other than that. Mm -hmm. Kudos to Randy Savage, allegedly for doing that. I know that's been debunked. Um, living in this state ain't cheap, um, so it's a big ask for sure. Even if it ain't, even if it is cheap, it's it's still asking people to uproot their lives and say, "Hey, move to Connecticut, move to Mass, move to New York or New Jersey." Um, that's that that is a that is a fair assessment of the affairs of what of wrestling as far as the health of it goes being not good 
Um, as far as moving it Monday Night Raw to a makeshift warehouse slash arena, that I think would have been really cool. I don't think it would have caught the eye and captured the mainstream audience in the way that Monday Night Raw event did and would eventually help it grow to be what it is today. So I think it would have been very difficult to get to where we are now as far as where Monday Night Raw is. And I think obviously a lot of things transpired since then to kind of make Monday Night Raw the staple that it is. But yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't see, um, you know, while it was maybe more cost-effective to go to Stanford in a warehouse, I don't think it provided the panache or pizzazz, if you will, that Monday Night Raw was looking to capture as far as its appeal. So ultimately, I think the right decision was made early on to, to, to do what they ended up doing. Dennis, do you think uh, by those statements and what we're watching here with the Nasty Boys against uh, Paul Roma and Arn Anderson that, you know, this uh, is a, a fair assessment of 1993 in the world of pro wrestling? Well, well, what I think is when you have like a staple, just like, a, uh, like an arena where, you know, it's always going to be a pre-taped show or whatever. Justin, I, I, I agree with, but I disagree with you at the same time. That, that, that what I agree with you is that the raw brand needs to be a traveling show, like like a circus. But I think for shows for like superstars and like main event and whatever, I think a, a, a predetermined like location would be glorious. What I, they I, do with NXT? I think, I think like, for like for, yeah for like today's show, mm-hmm. like like a, like like a safe haven for like the Kurt Hopkins and the Dana Brooks and like and like and like you know like the revival and like like. Like, like, what? It, it, if you're doing it, like, like, it's, it, what, you know, you're doing downtown Hartford or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 500 person arena, you know, that, 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 uh, I think that'd be a really, really good idea. I know? agree with you. I've, I've always theorized, and I know people talk about it, you know, we're, I don't want to get into a, too much of a fanny, fantasy booking, you know, realm, but I've always thought, especially now with WWE kind of being so global and just very remote in some areas. Nice electric chair by Paul. Um, I always thought that, you know, why not take the 205 Live brand and throw them on, you know, go buy up the lot space at Universal Studios and make that an attraction of that theme park. Every what, Tuesday night or every Wednesday or whatever, come see the superstars of 205 Live. Autographs be that and everything else that that is an attraction to fans i feel like in today's world that would work tremendously in in an area where there's a lot of foot traffic a lot of curious fans a lot of hungry fans that could really buy into that um so yes with that in in the in a modern sense i feel like that could work today and i certainly think it would have had an appeal somewhere outside of Stanford, Connecticut, Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, as much as I, we would have loved to have had that here, I just don't think it it, it, it needed the right lo, you know location, 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 a, rem, a a centralized location to produce supplemental programming round the clock every day of the week needs constant foot traffic. Whether it's a theme park in Florida, Las Vegas at a casino, you name it, it that's where you need something like that. MGM Grand, Missy, you know, MGM WCW, that's what they were looking for, and I think that's something WWE could and still could uh, do to this day. And you know, 
who knows what's in the cards as far as that's concerned. But yeah, it's an interesting idea to help allow talent to season themselves, get over in front of an audience, you know, and just get more reps. Give me, uh, let, let's switch gears a little bit here and put a little more focus on this match. I know that we've taken some time to discuss some of the uh, events that have transpired outside the business at this time and our thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, last week we did our, uh, our, our tag team out Rushmore and obviously we couldn't get every tag team in the discussion. But uh, two, two guys who um, aren't regarded as the greatest technical wrestlers but definitely brought something from a te- oh chair it's shot fine, by Jerry Sags to double A Arn Anderson nasty boys what's what's your take on their uh, their, their 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 role in uh, the history of tag team wrestling Dennis I'll, uh, I'll I'll start with you oh I love them um uh, like uh, you know being a little lad watching uh, um, you know Jimmy Hart and nasty boys and just like and 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 I really and I know this is blasphemous, but but I I did not like the Heart Foundation. I really didn't. So when they took the belts off the Heart Foundation, one of my really? favorite moments. Oh, I loved. It. I wasn't a big Heart Foundation fan. I, I did it. not like them. Wow. I loved it. I loved it. The way they cheated, the way they used the, the, the microphone, they got to win the match and all those other stuff. Oh, I loved it. I, the, 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 uh, I really well, uh, face nasty boys. I thought brought nothing to the table. Heal nasty boys. I thought brought a lot. Definitely to better the table. bad guys than good absolutely, guys. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What would you consider best? Their, uh, their WCW run or their WWF run? I actually think WWF. I really believe it. I think they're the, the, the most. The most. Uh, their best were like where you could see where it's chemistry. And confidence and all that, you know, put the uh, put the put the jobber's face in their in their armpit, you know. You only saw that in the WWF. I did not, it, it, ladies and gentlemen, it, they did it in WCW. I apologize. But they did I did the not, pit stop. Yeah. I don't remember that. City. I, don't, I do not remember that in, in, in WCW. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 uh, I think their best run, where it was confidence and just like who they were, and what 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 that that uh, that, that, that uh, I thought it was in WWF. Uh, that, that I thought their best work was. WWF for here's, here's what I, I got a little homework assignment for you. Go on WWE Network and watch, search for Halloween Havoc 1990, and you'll watch the Steiner Brothers and the Nasty Boys in like a Texas Tornado style tag team match. Just go ahead and watch that for me and let me know what you think at, at a later date. I'll be the first one to admit too. I, I, if I've seen it, I don't recall it. So I'll gladly do so indeed. As we see Missy Hyatt there Jeez, in the corner. I'll say, I'll say I feel like the Nasty Boys were the next progression of what the Bushwhackers were. And then from there, the Nasty Boys were what the Headbangers became. What do you mean by that, Justin? They, they weren't anything super meaningful. You know what I mean? They were, I don't want to say a job or to the stars, if you will, but they were formidable, had character, and... You know, they were part of the discussion, but not very long. Yeah, they, they they were transitional champions. You know what I mean? They they were good hands, they had good characters, and they had a gimmick that resonated a little bit. You know what I mean? They're not in any amount Rushmore that we could put on, but again, the pits, the, the pity city, and all that stuff. Like they had something that made you react, for better or for worse. Like the Bushwhackers, eventually the Headbangers, um, you know, and, and they've. I, I'm hard pressed to find a team that does that kind of now in WWE 
or to wrestling as a whole, but um, that's what they were. Um, could they have been a little more nasty? Sure. But that, that just wasn't their place in the world of wrestling at the time. To kind of bounce back a little bit here, we kind of discussed, uh, you know, you mentioned the... Uh the, the, the placement of like a small studio kind of show, both you, Dennis, and you, Justin, you know, what WWE could provide with like a, a full sale and, you know, Universal Studios having that more intimate feel. Uh, we go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and around this time, obviously I wasn't aware of this uh, at the moment, but uh, according to uh, the, the, the folks over on the, uh, the Meltzer rags, there was an upcoming WCW show at the 65,000-seat Alamo Dome that was being billed locally as the Great American Bash, and Hector Guerrero was being brought in to work the show, and uh, him and Sid Vicious had filmed a promo uh, against each other, which involved uh, some local politicians that got some local media coverage at this time. But what you know was most remembered about this is that Sid Vicious made some heavy racial remarks about Hispanics in professional wrestling to get some heat, and eventually the match never happened between the two. Um, you know, Ventura in this in this program has made some uh, some some racially charged remarks regarding uh, Latin American Hispanic individuals because they are in the te- the Houston Texas area uh, for this show. Um, Discuss with us for just a moment, and we don't have to go too far into this because I know that this could be a very sensitive subject, Uh, you know, the differences with racial stereotypes in wrestling then and now. Oh, that's a great question. Well, obviously, like, one of my favorite wrestlers, I know this is uh, not a popular answer, is uh, Muhammad Masan. And and, and, uh, he was... Clearly, a guilty pleasure of Justin's, by the way. I, that, yes. that, I think he, had, he was the last wrestler of the Attitude Era, and I really believe that. That's a good, you know. I, I really believe that. That's, that's pretty good. I like that. I really that. believe believe Muhammad Hassan was the I last. I like that. I like that. Last analogy. wrestler of the Attitude Era. So I miss kind of like that, that 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 like like watch uh, like that walking online where it's like almost racial racist, stereotype. Racial stereotype. And it was kind of like, whoa, wait a second. This guy is right, but he's so racist that you don't want to admit to it, you know? And, and that, 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 uh, that, that, uh, but, but, what, what, but where the point, the point is where it's okay when you're the guy saying, you know, Muslim, if you're Muslim saying, Muslims go through this and this and this and this, that's okay. But when Sid Vicious, so when it says, you know, if you're Latin American or you're Latin American, no, I don't think that's okay. I really don't. I know that's that that's double standard, all this other stuff. But 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 when you're a Caucasian wrestler and and you're saying stuff about the Latino wrestling and all this other stuff, I I I cringe. I do. I really do. And there's obviously no place for it in today's. Room, I really don't. Know, I really in, don't. In, in today's well, I would say this: there's a place for it as a satire, as a comedic element. You look at a, a, a tag team like Crime Time, you know, really playing heavy into that urban African American culture, with the volume turned up. I like I said, for most of wrestling history, it is it has had a place of very of a lot of seriousness and patriotic elements. Um, playing to a lot of whiteness in America, um, particularly in the 70s and 80s, with the Cold War being, you know, a, a huge dominating element of that time of history. 
where we are now, I think there's a more. I think it, it lends its more. It's, it lends itself more to, 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 to comedic aspects. It's more satirical. It's more a joke within a joke. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we, you know, wrestling has covered it more seriously, now we're going to cover it in a more, you know, hilarious element. Um, so that's, I think, its place. You know, racial divide and 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 things like that. That's where I think those those elements of sensitivity can be placed. But you know what? At the same time, it's 2018. You're going to offend someone. You're not going to please everybody. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether it's funny or not. Someone's going to be upset about it. So. You know, when you're a publicly traded company like WWE is, why go there? Uh, but at the same time, there's certainly an area where you can you can uh, address it in a more hilarious, like, this is how we used to think manner. That can- <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> but at the same time comes a lot of introspective qualities that I think we as people don't we don't want to look into ourselves as far as how we used to think or how we're trained to think because we look at that as you know archaic um you know to not and that's that's getting really philosophical great, about it and great spine here we go I think we're, we're hitting the finish whoa oh from almost yeah. falling with the splash oh Rob come distracted. on turn around Rob I'm sorry Justin no no no, no, no. And, that, and like I said it, I think the place of, of, of racial and cultural divide in One, the wrestling two, industry three again it just doesn't it just doesn't lend itself in 2018 to a more serious element it lends itself to a more um satirical place in in the industry the nasty boys sorry to cut you off there new world tag team champions defeating arn anderson and paul roma of the four horsemen god damn missy hyatt was smoking hot back and now she looks like a plastic piece of shit (laughs) unfortunately um but yeah holy cow look at the cans on her um no, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And to kind of cap off, you know, the, 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 the racial pro wrestling talk here, the only thing that offended in me about this match was that it went 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that's, too much. That, Yeah, a little too much for me. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they worked hard, yeah. Yeah, definitely a good finish. Um, Roma with a great splash. You see Jerry Sag's elbow drop off the top to the back of the head of Roma. I kind of wanted to bring this up in the discussion. Another thing that offended me as a wrestling fan is that Arn Anderson never was the world heavyweight champion. Oh, I know. I feel like Arn Anderson could have had a transitional run as the champion. You know what I, it was? I really do. I felt like with a with a J.J. Dillon and a mouthpiece, um, you know, that could have helped. Even if it was a short run, I felt like he could have been the champion. I really felt like he was so legitimate and, you know, he could have stepped away from Flair, even if it was for a brief moment. And I think it would have worked as we see uh, Missy Hyatt here, you know, you know, being a mouthpiece for the mas- the nasty boys in more ways than one. Uh, giving her disapproval of the four horsemen here with uh, knobs and sags as your new world tag team champions. Um yeah, I just felt like Arn had that ability. I, I really felt like he was shortchanged, and I'll even go as far as to say the greatest wrestler to never be the world champion, and that could be a discussion oh, for wow, another, that's a great that could be a discussion there. for another day. Um, Not going to argue that. I don't think that's an egregious statement. Um, he maximized his skill in the place he was at, of course, you know, across his entire yeah. career, and it's hard to really say, you know what. What could have been? Oh, oh, great Rob. Big Van Vader. Vader great Cactus. Robbery. 
as we are approaching the bounty match with Cactus Jack and not Vader. Vader's not a part of this show, which I found kind of um, perplexing. But this highlight package here highlights uh, the Vader-Cactus rivalry and how things began with, and Justin, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit on the SummerSlam 97 watch-along. My, uh, my, my... Where I gained a lot of respect for Cactus Jack was this spot with the with the the power bomb outside in the floor, which eventually led to the amnesia storyline and how he you know was lost in Cleveland. He was homeless. He was right here, boom. Oh, Jesus! On the solid concrete. I remember watching that as a kid, and I was just like, oh my god. And you see the pictures right there of the the audience, you know, not really knowing what's going to happen to him. And I don't know what the fuck was in that bag that that Cactus was carrying around, but. Uh, this is where things got hokey right here is they kind of did like a, a hard copy current affairs type of investigation where they, you know, would have this reporter go to, uh, you know, Cactus's home, eventually finding him on the streets in Cleveland. Um, there you see right there, you know, in a cardboard fort, mm-hmm. Cactus Jack and his, uh, his, his homeless girlfriend. Clean shaven, five yeah, o'clock say, shadow, no cactus it jack. Looks like Raven there, no? A little, yeah. Raven. I can, I can get fat Raven. Yeah. Fat Raven's fat now, so he's just <laughs> not to be disrespectful to those Raven fans out there. See, look at him. Notice the hole in the in the girl's shirt right there, the one that's wearing the cowboy oh, hat. See, uh, Move the kid's head out of the way. You can't even see the face. The of, this is supposed to be Cactus's wife pleading with him that you know, I'm your wife. These are your children. Um, this is where it just kind of went downhill where I thought it was stupid. But if you look closely, you see that woman's T-shirt right there? See where that <laughs> hole was placed? Yeah. You know, oh, 1993. What a time. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Like I said, very transitional. I've never seen wrestling. that reporter before or since, by the way. She yes. probably worked for, like, Turner. Exe- you know, she was, like, a Turner executive that they just thought, oh, here, you know, want to make a few extra bucks? You know what? That's a good point. Hey, there's you know Harley, Harley Race with the... The I forget what they they were some sort of tag team that had like the last name like Kong. Oh, the Texas. Um, they weren't anything Texas. Oh, I thought they were the Texas Hangman. No. No, that was like the hey, awesome. Those guys been hanging like off that. nothing. Yeah, the only thing they're hanging around is the buffet. That's for yeah. sure. And this was Cactus's return at that Clash of Champions to kind of set up um, his rivalry with Vader. However, he wouldn't get to Vader until about a month later. Instead, he's going to be wrestling this individual here, who goes by the name of Yoshi Kwong. This is a bounty match. Um, and that's this bag that, you know, holds some mysterious items in it that is owned by Cactus currently in the possession of, uh, of uh, one Harley race. As we see, you know, Cactus. The Smashing Pumpkins. Wow. Oh, yeah, Siamese Dream. Great album, by the way. Great that's album. interesting, yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting that, that, you know, how appropriate that that is a part of this you know that 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 shot right there the 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 poster is a part of this and billy corgan of the smashing pumpkins you know owns and operates the national wrestling alliance in the history of pro wrestling like that's wild you know his involvement in the recent all-in show uh and helping promote that with with the cody rhodes nick aldis nwa world title match it's just i didn't it's very fitting that honestly that like he you know that 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 poster just kind of popped up here. Yeah. Um, but I just remember being disappointed that Cactus had to go through Yoshi Kwong to get to Vader because I didn't look at Yoshi Kwong as anything 
threatening towards Cactus, and I felt like Vader didn't need to hide behind anyone. Vader was big and imposing. He was a badass. Like, why would he need Yoshi Kwong to hide behind, you know? He was bad enough to put Cactus down. He should be bad enough to try to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a bad guy, too. Like, I mean... Look, feel, yeah. look at a video game. You know, you play a video game and you go through all the little obstacles and pits and falls, and then at the end of that level, you reach the boss, mm-hmm. if you will. And you would call Vader the boss. You know, and, and again, Harley Race pulling the strings on that end. You know, that's a very uh, diabolical scheme to, to throw along Cactus's way before reaching the prized fighter that is that was Big Van Vader. So. I mean, I can agree with you in some sense, but at the same time, you know, you're you're looking at it from a storyline arc and where you want to put matches in certain parts of the calendar year, and you know, Halloween Havoc's on the way. You know, that's what they were probably thinking. Let's let's put this off a month, but keep it relevant and keep it interesting, and let's let's kind of continue the angle on a larger stage at Fall Brawl. Yeah, I mean. You know, voice of reason. I, I I get it. You know, I understand. I just thought it was stupid. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, when he got this guy walking around with Harley Race, one of the greatest wrestlers that ever lived. Yeah, absolutely. The greatest wrestler on God's green earth. Absolutely. You ever seen the picture of Harley Race with the fat kid from Bad Santa? Yeah. It's the same person. Yeah, Conrad Thompson on uh, on his on one of his podcasts. Uh, you know, every time Harley Race comes up, he'll always say, "You want some sandwiches?" <laughs> it's pretty funny. But to me, to, as an as a fan who likes to look back on history, Harley Race that's almost a disservice to Harley Race. Cause Harley Race is one of the toughest SOBs to ever lace up a pair of boots. You know, everything that guy went through in life to become what seven, eight times world heavyweight champion when that wasn't a thing. Yeah. What's your like, finish, kid? Yeah, like... I'll make sure I move. Right. Harley Race, <laughs> to me, was Ric Flair before there was Ric Flair. Oh, absolutely. And ha- appropriate that he was the one that passed the torch. To Flair, yeah. Yeah. Starcade Exactly. Harley, Harley Race, to me, like, if there was ever a wrestler I, I could meet, it would, Harley Race is on that list because, like, to me, that's like a war veteran. Met him once. Um... We were you, you were well, you were in the vicinity. It was at the hotel in Atlanta during WrestleMania weekend in 2011. And uh, at the time, I was a smoker. I went outside to have a cigarette, and uh, X Pac was outside, and he was very friendly, bullshitting with us a little bit. And uh, he he stopped the conversation not to be rude. He said, "Excuse me, guys, I gotta go say hello to Harley." And Harley was sitting in a chair. He was like, in some ways, he was holding court. Um, and he went over to say hello and kiss the ring, if he, you will. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then like you know, Harley eventually like stood up and he nodded and he he shook our hands and that was the end of it. As we yeah. see Cactus now, fuck Yoshi Kwan, I want Harley Race. You know what? <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned that because that year when we were in Atlanta, I didn't meet Harley Race, but I had seen him. I, I one of those days that weekend in yeah. Atlanta, I went out to I, I grabbed a quick bite to eat. I, I think you know our brother Daryl was with us. Maybe Bill Brown was with us too. And there was like this little underground little mall underneath, uh, you know, one of the large high-rise buildings in downtown Atlanta. And Harley was that, yeah. Harley was with a couple other people, whether it was yeah, hand, his handlers, me. if you will, and just grabbing a bite to eat in the food court there. And I saw him, and it was just like to me, that was like that's Harley Race. Like, yeah. Like I said, like I don't want to say the last of dying breed, but like this man, like I said, like a war veteran of wrestling, like just all the respect. 
there is not enough he to is give what, to that man. He is what veterans um, that have served our country uh, in Vietnam. To, you know, it's like, I guess you can kind of relate, like you said, a war veteran. Like, he's like, like the territory days in many respects, I guess you could kind of, com- you know, in to circle back here with this analogy, you could say that the territory days were like Vietnam, you know? And he started, he was young when he started in wrestling. So he kind of, in the same way that Roddy Piper started, this guy was a young lad, you know, in a grown man's world facing a lot of adversity and he had to grow up and, and, you know, trials and tribulations along the way made him to me, the legend that he deserves to be. When that when the day that Harley Race is no longer with us, which I hope is no time soon, will be a day I think that I'll probably not necessarily maybe I'll shed a tear, but at the same time I'll you know I'll be look sad. back and be and yeah be very sad for you know for his absence because again Harley Race, like I said, was was the greatest there ever was before people were talking about what the greatest ever was. Two points that both you guys brought up. I hate to, I don't mean to cut you off here, but Justin, you brought up earlier the, the, the ramp, the long ramp that heads to the ring. And Dennis, you kind of brought it up earlier how, like, you know, sometimes the action would spill out from one ring to another when there was a war game set up. And we just saw right there the, the ramp being used um, for a spot with, you know, this Yoshi Kwan and Cactus Jack and then kind of, uh, spilling the action to the ring that is not sanctioned for the match, which I just find very interesting that, you know, we kind of discussed this earlier and then we, we see it in front of our very own eyes here. Um, definitely, uh, this is definitely not a barn burner of a match, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's for sure. again, gents. So, so, what <laughs> So don't you think Shockmaster should be fighting this? What's the what's the name of this gentleman again? Yoshi uh, Yoshi Kwong. So Yoshi Kwong, don't Cactus you think Jack. he should be fighting right about now? Shockmaster and Cactus Jack being part of War Games. Wouldn't that be a better match? Yes, it would. And you know what? <laughs> I'm I'm I honestly I've. I, I, I pulled a goof here earlier because in the opening video package of this this rivalry, I had mentioned that Vader wasn't even on the card. Silly me, he's in the fucking main event. I don't know what I was Is thinking. Is he in War Games? Yeah, he's in the War Games. Yeah, he, he was on the main poster. Though, yeah, yeah. He was on the, yeah, he's on the, the, the main poster with so him and Sid and Harley. Why part of War Games? That, yeah, I thought maybe that would have been a nice touch to put. I think they in. wanted to really string along the audience to, to that first touch and a big main event oh, feel. Yeah. Come on, Harley. Please let this be it. Yeah, yeah there you go. Thank it. you very much. Cactus defeats Yoshi Kwong. What, take three minutes? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, see, on the oh, Harley. Harley. Harley, Harley wanted this. Yeah. Harley was like, how about you just suplex me? Give me something. <laughs> I'll bump for you, kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he needed his thing back. Oh, yeah. I gotcha. His bag. We're going to find out what's in there, Dave? Marbles? I don't know. I don't think so. I think Cactus kind of held that near and dear oh, to his heart. Coin collection. Yeah. yeah. And I do apologize <laughs> to the listening audience. I'm kicking out of I did see this over the years, but I've not seen did it. Did you pay anything. for this? Did you pay to watch this? Let me ask you. Oh this. my God. Shame. I'm a part of Jewish family. My dad would not let me. I got to saw. Did you I, have a scrambler? Like at least I did. did, you get I it did have a scrambler. Like a real a Jewish family, family. absolutely. I did have a scrambler. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, but uh, no, 
Let me see. Uh, my dad purchased, believe it or not. That's um, awesome. Not Buster Douglas, but um, um, it was Holyfield, not Tyson, but the other guy. Razor Ruddick? It's a Riddick. I'm trying to think. Uh, Riddick Bow? Oh, yeah, Riddick Bow, Tyson. And I, and I, I saw one of the uh, Warrior Rumbles one year. He purchased, he purchased one. Yeah, I would have much rather seen yeah. Harley Race get suplexed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me personally, but to each his own. And uh, we've got, you know, the Danny Tanner of pro wrestling. Bob Tony, Saget, yeah. if you will, yeah. Tony Schiavone. Tony He's Sh- hilarious. I'm telling you right now, you got to check out his show. Like, it, I, I laugh my ass off. He's so funny. Um, just him and Conrad going back and forth, and they kind of get, you know, Tony's wife, Lois, involved, who's apparently... Uh, Her name would be Lois. Yeah. As we see the highlight package for the Ravishing I Rick Rude. Rick Rude. Always Rick Rude, Rude very one. Oh, kissing the ladies. Of course. The now f- fiancé or wife of the soon nature to be, boy. Soon to be wife of uh, Slick Rick. Is that right? Number yeah. five. Yeah, five times the charm. You yeah. think these women wise up now? It's the nature boy, man. I get you. The nature boy proposed to me. I'd think twice about it. That's true. Yeah, I'd date him for six months, divorce him, and then be rich. That's true. I would marry him just to say that I'm married to the greatest That I went to time. Space Mountain. <laughs> no, fuck that. No. If it was like a union or a partnership oh, and there was man. no there was no uh, sexual favors involved. I know, I know, I know. As long as I got free tickets to a show. Like, that's all I, I know, I know the world was heartbroken when like Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner. But if the, if the Nature Boy Ric Flair became, you know, Regina Flair... That would be that would be my moment of well, where's this world come to? He did dress in drag in 1995 when he interfered in the Hogan Vader strap match oh, from sure. Uncensored, WCW Uncensored. As we saw Rick Rude laying out the Nature Boy on an episode of Flair for the Gold. Uh, I'm sure on a future episode of Kicking Out Two, we'll be discussing the 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 good, bad, and ugly of wrestling talk show moments in pro wrestling history. Uh, so stay tuned for that in the near future at Kicking Out at Two. Um, before we get into it, well, there's actually some interesting stories that have taken place um, in the world of wrestling sur- you know, during this time period surrounding this match and the world championship, specifically the NWA World Heavyweight title as I scroll through my notes here. Um, First of all, Smoky Mountain Wrestling at this time applied for a membership to the NWA despite their tag team champions, the Heavenly Bodies, scheduled to face the Steiner Brothers, or they had already faced the Steiner Brothers, excuse me, at the 1993 SummerSlam. Uh, meanwhile, the NWA wanted Ric Flair or Rick Rude, whoever would come out of this match as the champion, to drop the NWA title at a non-W to a non-WCW wrestler at a non-WCW event with one of the other NWA promotions. WCW, of course, continued to just ignore that the NWA existed at this point. What do you when they come on? Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. This, in 1993, I don't... You're telling this me... This is so Jim much... Gordon this is history. Comes, Jim Gordon comes up to you, or you see a memo, or whatever, whatever, whatever literature it is, that, 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 that you're gonna drop... You're, you're Ric Flair, you're gonna drop the title to, like, you know, Dirty White Boy? Come on. Yeah, hold on, though. That's not the same thing. For the record, is that Kimberly? No, that is, that is Fifi. Fifi. Okay. Yes. Back, to, back to business. Yeah, but that does um, kind of look like Kimberly. You know, the, the history of the NWA, to me, I've always been fascinated by. I don't know if you took the time recently to watch the latest episode of 10 Pounds of Gold. I did. Featuring Billy Corgan and the promotion of All In yep. and the NWA World Heavyweight Titles yep. presence on that show. The fact that and this was this was 
off the heels of, of Madison Square Garden's announcement of hosting the G1 Supercard of Honor. And, um, you know, just, just the idea of so much history between the NWA and wrestling outside of WWE. I'm not going to say I got choked up on it, but it got me in the feels. Like, as far as... It was good, yeah. It was good. You know, what it. we know and love to be WWE still was birthed out of what the National Wrestling Alliance was. And the coolest thing that I thought, and I'd love to make a pilgrimage one day, is when the, the camera crew of that 10 Pounds of Gold episode, which is, to bring you up to speed, the Being Elites version you know, program yeah, that Billy the, Corgan the runs. The YouTube show, yeah. Yes. So that's Billy Corgan's version of Being Elite, called the 10 Pounds of Gold. One of the days, we've got to talk about how, how much I think that Billy Corgan is a kind of a dummy. I have Well, with that being wait, said... Wait, 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 I love him as a magician, don't get me wrong. One day... I, I just, no respect for him as a wrestling... Bill, uh, Billy uh, Corgan was brought a camera crew with some people to the hotel in Iowa that is now a museum to the National Wrestling yes, Alliance. I saw that. Where they literally stepped into the very room that allegedly the National Wrestling Alliance was formed. Yep. And I was, wa- I was actually was at work. Dan Gable Museum or yep, something like I was that, watching yeah. it at work and I got chills. Thinking like this is where this is almost where modern day wrestling was born in this room with the eight to ten to twelve people that they're tossing shit on the wall, yeah. and putting it all together, and to me that's a special thing, you know, for what we've created here with Kicking Out of Two and what other podcasts have become. It all really starts in that, you know, yeah. room, yeah. that that you know office space in Iowa in a hotel in the Gold Room, I think they called it, maybe. Um, I think so, yeah. How apropos. That's just special to me. Um, you know, you talk about where, you know, other sports and other entities began, you know, Hall of Fames and such. It's hard to argue that that's not the place where it all began. And, you know, again, it caught me in the field because if it weren't for what happened in that room in that day, what, 70, 80 years ago, we're not sitting here today, you know. Because so no, much happened after point. that, and that, to me, that's very there. special, and I appreciate the fact that um, that 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 took place, and that it can be honored in 2018. It was six days, you know, to to, to further dive deeper into the NWA discussion here and their association or soon to be lack thereof with World Championship Wrestling at this time. It was six days prior to this event that the NWA held their convention to discuss varying goings, various goings on regarding the organization. With the rise of the World Wrestling Federation in the 80s and the subsequent closing of almost all the territories it has pretty much rendered the NWA obsolete until obsolete until former WCW President Kip Fry decided to revive it a year prior in WCW with the NWA Tag Title Tournament and the World Title Tournaments alongside New Japan Pro Wrestling at that time. Um, New Japan, before this event at Fall Brawl, had recently cut ties from the NWA, and Todd Gordon from ECW and Jim Cornette from Smoky Mountain Wrestling applied for membership within the NWA, which in theory allows them to use the NWA champion on their shows. Uh, before this pay-per-view, Rick Rude uh, was allegedly scheduled to win the title at the next WCW pay-per-view, and all future TV tapings that take place, uh, references of the NWA had been removed from those WCW shows, simply billing Rick Rude as the world heavyweight Real champion. quick, I, going back to that quick story, just to, to, to round it out, that hotel I was referencing was in Waterloo, Iowa. That's the birthplace of the NWA, the yep. National Wrestling Alliance. So, just to kind of 
you know, give some more backstory on that for those who are interested. It is Waterloo, Iowa, where that all took place, the, the, the formation of the National Wrestling Union. You know, purposely that, 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 uh, that town, you think that was purpose. Waterloo. Maybe it's a centralized location in the, in the country. It's Iowa. It's the Midwest. It's very centralized. Um, I don't know why it was there particularly. I'm sure I, there's a I'm great story behind it, that. I'm wondering if it was a small town and because wrestling was so protected back in that you day. You had to kind of meet and, oh, and meet somewhere. I'm talking about the small you, town. I'm talking about the terminology of Waterloo. Because we always know Napoleon, Waterloo. And, uh, like, you know, LaPointe's last stand, you know what I mean? You know, you that's interesting. That, you mentioned that. Was, that. You know, purpose. Uh, it could be. I'm not putting that past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think there is that era of wrestling is so mafioso, which I think, you know, knowing, again, which is our favorite television concept. show that we've talked about. And Sopranos. I know Dave is the Sopranos. There is a great underworld of, of that culture that I think lends itself to the history of wrestling. Um, again... Not you know, sorry to cut you off, Dave. No, Waterloo, Iowa is where it all took place. That would be that's what I think you know in the mafia world would be called the other side. Yeah, you know the you know we talk about the homeland, Italy, Sicily, and all those other you know small towns where you know Cosa Nostra was born. You know this thing of ours, professional wrestling, was definitely born in Waterloo, Iowa. And yeah. I will say for sure, you know, if I can have it my way at some point. Um, that's, I would love to go there and just take all that in. But yeah, please go ahead, Dave. Um, it was also at the same convention that ECW's membership was accepted into the National Wrestling Alliance and Smoky Mountain's membership was pending. Uh, some minor issues that needed to be worked out, but the biggest... What the con- fuck? But the, yeah, I know, right, Cornette? Oh, it worked. I'm like, goddamn! Um, fucking National Wrestling Alliance! Motherfucker! <laughs> We're Dallas! We're fucking New Orleans! Louisiana! Ricky and Robert, Bobby fucking midnight. Face. God damn, motherfucker! Yeah. Love you. <laughs> Dory Harley, how the fuck can you not accept Smoky Mountain Wrestling's acceptance into the National Wrestling Alliance, motherfucker? God damn. Anyhow, the biggest concern from this convention um, was that Flair was the champion, and uh, you know, I guess uh, you know it was undecided whether he was going to lose this title to Rude or not. Because there had been talk of Rude being the champion um, this show or maybe even following the next show. Um, And the NWA was expected to approve of a title change on the condition that Rude then lost the title to someone of the NWA's board of choosing at a non-WCW show. Either ECW or Smoky Mountain Wrestling once they would eventually get their their membership fees in order. Um, The dirt sheets suspect at the time that WCW wouldn't agree to this and will continue to just position the title however they want and continue the NWA to ignore the NWA's existence. Um, This is made even more complicated due to the fact that WCW owns the physical gold belt. So the NWA didn't own that title at the time. And Um, at this time, didn't Flair still own the 10 pounds of gold? The the the, the, the original ten pound NWA dome belt. Yeah, wasn't I mean was I mean he, he brought the, it to Raw. No, he brought the gold belt oh, to, to to W. Um, I'm pretty sure he still owned it, and and you know what? To, for what it's worth, and I can even pull it up on my phone to make sure. I know he had some disputes with other people as far as shoot interviews and collateral. He had to use the belt as collateral and to 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 make up for at missing. WrestleMania when I went in New Orleans. 
I believe WWE bought the belt. Yes, I and I want to. I have the picture. In, they put it up in one of their displays. They paid for his because he had some issues with some of the, the the individuals that were conducting shoot interviews. He either missed some dates or he like took pay and then backed out of the deal. Um, and then they sued him, so he needed to use the belt as collateral because of how much it was worth. Yeah, you know, and I do have the picture here to get to 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 eventually get out of the deal. And WWE helped pay for that's the picture. It's. It's of, is that it, the one with the dent? If I'm not mistaken, if it's, look. it's it's the belt that they that they put in their Hall of Fame exhibit at WrestleMania Access that I attended. I don't think that I think that's a restored version. It could I be. I don't think that's the one with the with the the dent in the in the globe, the one that Flair right. talks about with Harley. That's the one. And that, we'll post that picture up. No, on, it definitely looks like there's a dent in there. Okay. Yeah, we will. Po- yeah. We'll definitely post that picture up on our kicking out to social media on Facebook and, and Twitter. And to me, like that's like to so me the NWA World out. Heavyweight Title for to, to to give a cross reference. That's like to me the Heisman Trophy of pro wrestling. Oh, I totally agree. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you you may win a Super Bowl, you may main event WrestleMania, you, be, you may become the WWE World Champion, but there is a long line of people in history, almost like the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Where your name is not necessarily etched on that title, but your hands were on that belt, yeah. so, and it's just so much history that I just I go gaga for so personally. Here's something interesting, and I'll and I'll let you and I'll let you comment, Dennis. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I just no. wanted to finish um, this story here um, because of these issues that WCW is having with the NWA at the time. Uh, according to the dirt sheets, there's rumors that they're going to merge the big gold belt with the NWA title on WCW television, and that unified champion was rumored to be Dustin Rhodes. Wow. Um, the natural. The natural Dustin Rhodes. Imagine Dustin Rhodes NWA world champion. Yeah, that's not going to fly. Look, that, look, if they were going to – look, it would have been along the same – it would have been consistent with the other attempts they had made to try to spark business. So I think it would have been looked at in the same vein as like Eric Watts getting a push or maybe Lex Luger in his run. Yeah. Um, it, I think it would have fallen flat. All the world's talented – that he is, I just uh, they would always look at him as Dusty's kid. Yeah, yeah. you know what? And, and and because it was so close to where Dusty was, even in presentation, yeah. Dusty Rhodes um, is in that class with Harley Race. Yeah. So to to put him so close to that, especially in the lineage of the NWA at this time, it would have. It would have been difficult to get over. They're saying, too, that at this time, if the NWA, if things had gone in their favor regarding this championship issue, that they more would have, they, they most likely would have either positioned Road Warrior Hawk, Terry Funk, or even Ted DiBiase as the next NWA champion. And uh, DiBiase. In 93? In 93, yeah. That's what, according to my research here, that's the rumor at the time. Now, I don't know how true that is, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, all these stories that we've been talking about are basically rumors and, and, you know hearsay so i can't confirm because i'm not in the industry i don't have sources i'm just a fan like all of you listening so this is just the rumor at the time but uh we know dibiase left uh, the world wrestling federation after SummerSlam 1993 he did wrestle in all japan and got hurt and then officially retired in 94 but i think dibiase left because he wanted a reduced schedule didn't want to work that heavy uh, grind of a schedule that the, that the wwf produced at the time um which 
kind of brings me to uh, Road Warrior Hawk here for a moment. Um, Hawk had stroken up a last-minute deal with WCW. Originally, he was going to be a part of that War Games match. Turns out it wasn't, you know, the Shockmaster had his place. Um, he showed up at a class, recent Clash of Champions as Dustin Rhodes' mystery partner against um, the tandem of Ravishing Rick Rude and... Uh, I believe it was uh, Stunning Steve Austin, maybe? I'm, no, it wasn't Steve Austin. I forget who his partner was at the time. But um, anyhow, so Hawk showed up, and then Animal showed up to be in Hawk and Sting's corner. But Animal was still collecting an insurance payout from Lloyds of London. And uh, there had been rumored to be some significant beef between Hawk and Animal based on some stuff that took place at the end of their run in the World Wrestling Federation. But there was a new promotion in Texas that Paul Heyman was involved in at this time called WWN, and they were looking to bring Hawk in to be their top singles star. Uh, they tried to get Animal, but Animal, uh, because of his issues with Hawk, no-showed an event, so therefore, you know, Hawk was left holding the bag. But apparently they squashed their beef and reunited on that most recent Clash of Champions episode, and there were plans once Animal's insurance policy was done being paid out, which was going to be February of 94, that they were going to reunite the two of them back together. But that obviously did not work. Um... Let, let me let me kind of butt in here. Yeah, and I because I find the idea of like those those three candidates being an interesting, you know, interesting people to to assume the role as world heavyweight champion mm-hmm. to kind of salvage the lineage. If not those three, between the three of us, starting with either one of you, who do you think could have been that guy to to assume the the crown, if you will, and possibly revive the NWA to be and the world title to be on par with the WWF and its world title. So not those three that it could, met, no Hawk, no DBS, no, no if, Funk. If if you feel like any of those three could be that guy, who pick one, DiBiase. Pick another one. DiBiase. DiBiase? Okay. Yeah. And what about you, Dennis? I don't think any of them. And I think that's why it never happened. Who would you pick? That, 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 uh, but, but not being said I, that, 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 I can't answer that question because but you give me DiBiase no but he said or, anybody or, 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 outside that, of that that's too. what I'm saying even that even that so 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 so, so, so the WWF is doing their own thing WCW is doing their own thing and you're telling me somebody outside of those two federations is going to get a title well I have talking, one in mind I'm not sure where we're talking DiBiase where, where, where his, his best years are way way beyond him Rogan animal where where you don't want him Hawk. as a single. Yeah. Yes, oh, excuse me. You want him as you want him as a tag team. And that uh, 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 and and who else have we got? Terry Funk was mentioned as one of the candidates. Once Last again, legs. Once again, you don't want him as your. So, team. is there anyone outside of that circle? Those three guys you could consider being a person uh, to assume Jesus. that role so at that talking, time in the landscape of wrestling. Right, so yeah. I'm talking about a free agent. And that's the thing. I don't know who was free agent. Right, so right, eligible. Because I have one guy in mind, but. I'll let you go Free first. Free agent or like uh, really early ECW type of guy. Um, I guess your best choice is common sense would be Shane Douglas. And, and well, we know how that turned out. That's what I mean. <laughs> that, that's what I mean. All right, that's a, that's a good pick. That's fair. Yeah. My pick for that, and again, I don't know where he stood and where he was, and please you know, correct me, you know. But I'm gonna go with Barry Windham. 
right. Where was Barry Windham in 1993? Barry Windham had a run in WCW in 93. Was he was actually the NWA world champion in 93. Flair had defeated him uh, prior to this event. Uh, in fact, the, the WCW, in, in an earlier story I mentioned, had to get permission from the NWA for Flair to defeat Windham. So Windham was... In the picture, in the mix, yeah, I, I don't would know have where he, he was at this time, during right. this time period, but he worked um, uh, Beach Blast yes. against uh, Flair. That was I th- Flair's I first match back, I, think I believe, he would have been a likely candidate for that role if he was not discussed. Um, but you know what? I, again, you, like you said, the landscape being what it was, you were, you, were, you were either with one or you were with the other, and if you weren't, you were, you were a misfit toy. So, all right, here's all right. Now, this just spawned on me. Great. Okay. You mentioned outside names, okay? We kind of talked about him earlier, what kind of impact he would have had on WCW had he joined them at this moment in time. And I know that the NWA probably wasn't in the right state of affairs financially to get this done. But at this time, Sources within AAA in Mexico had claimed that Hulk Hogan reached out to them about wanting to work with the promotion, but his asking price was too high, so Triple H, Triple H, Triple A was not interested. They also knew that they would have to bring in Brutus Beefcake and Jimmy Hart, and they had no interest in them. What if the NWA made a play at Hulk Hogan Hogan and made him the NWA World Heavyweight Champion? That could have been huge. On name value alone, that could have been monumental based on what happened. Revive the Six months, eight months later. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I don't think it would have had the same effect to the brand of what the NWA was, which was very much of a workhorse, 365 days, twice on Saturdays, twice on Sundays guy. He, Hulk Hogan's not your guy. He would have but, gotten eyeballs to the NWA. Yes. Though. Could he have been someone you, you, you transition that title to, to a, to a Shane Douglas, to a Barry Windham? Oh my God! Yeah, that's a great point. I think Hulk Hogan could have, if he if he was a viable candidate for that, I think could have been, yeah, it could have done good business. And I think moving forward to that, you've got I think Mexico was was producing good wrestlers at that time. Japan was producing good wrestlers at that time, and it would have been an interesting prospect to see who could have. Who could have assumed that role in 1993? Now, I that's the, that's kind of what I wanted to spark spark up in that question. Yeah, I mean, we, we we kind of alluded to him earlier. Hawk was a choice, I guess, according to rumors regarding the NWA and being the flagship, you know, uh, world champion for them. There have been discussions over the years amongst people within the business and with outside the business uh, regarding. Um, Hawk as being the prototypical, you know, professional wrestler. He had the look. He had, basically, he had it all, according to many people in the business. And people, you know, when whenever you look at tag teams, and we discussed this kind of a little bit in our tag team show, we your criteria, Dennis, was, you know, if you were a, a, a hotter as a single, then you shouldn't be a part of the tag team Mount Rushmore. Um, granted, the Road Warriors were the hottest as a tag team, but people considered Hawk to be the standout. Uh, do you think a Road Warrior Hawk as an NWA World Heavyweight Champion would have worked in 1993? No, 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 no. And, and it is a that that um, like like if you're a coach, right? Like like you know you know Mike Zimmer on the Minnesota Vikings, right? That that that, that a great defensive coach, right? But once he gets in the offense, he's not going to be that great. 
Same thing. Well, I think Stick I to what you know. Exactly. Yeah, and that's all, fair. And not only that, think of all the demons uh, the outside. His the personal outside issues. Factor. Aside from I don't that, th- though. I, but granted, you, you can't. You, you got to put that. Once you're the face of of of, of, of a legacy, of, of, you got to put a, that shit uh, to the yeah, side. You yeah, you got to put that involved too. Plus, have, I, I don't that, think that, he fits the mold of what that that title represented. At you know, but neither does Hogan. No, but but again, everything else he brought to the table, like you said, puts them on the map. The the representation of that title from Flair to Steamboat to Harley Race to to the Funks was you could talk the people into the seats, you could travel around, and you could work your ass off. Um, I think Hawk could work his ass off. I think he probably could talk people into the seats. But there, I think therein lies the, the the next part, like you said, Dennis. I don't know if he could overcome everything else going on in, in, in his head and in his life that would represent what the National Wrestling Alliance as a champion mm-hmm. would. The only way it would work is somehow he did a kayfabe injury to Animal. So Animal now, so by force, so you, can't, you can't be like, oh, can we get Lee Jordan? Please get us Lee Jordan. You gotta, you gotta then, take then, Animal then, out of the animal, picture. Uh, yeah, you do. But granted, kind of make him like his mouthpiece. Like, like you don't want drunken animal, uh, drunken hawk. You know, you you want Animal. You get, get, let let him talk for 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 for, for the hawk and all that other stuff. You get Animal involved, but not as a tag team. Like I said, K Fabian has an injury, whatever, or or even this to do to 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 have animal, right? Wherever, wherever the NWA champion is. Oh, this is how I would book it, by the way. I'm sorry, you don't like fantasy booking, but anyway, with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, have, have animal lose wherever the NWA champion is, right? The, 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 the retirement match, right? Boom, he's retired. Now he's forced to be a manager to Hawk, and then have Hawk win, would be, be the other guy. That might work. Okay, that here's might... another name before we, before we move on. He was the first ECW champion, Jimmy Snuka. I thought an over the hill Jimmy Snuka. I thought about Jimmy. Would he maybe be a solid jump starter? Because that's really what your role is as the as the rebirthing of this title. Would he be a solid champion for the NWA to kickstart this rebirth? No, you don't think. I don't think so. And the only reason why I don't think so is because that NWA championship and, and like most heavyweight titles in wrestling has been. Um, built on the fact of the babyface chasing the champion. They're chasing the heel, the heel champion, and I feel like Snooker could chase the title and maybe have a short Ronnie Garvin-like run with the title, but christening him as the new face of the NWA as the heavyweight champion, I don't, I don't think that would work okay, right off. The maybe bat. too big league for the NWA at this point, but let's go to his greatest rival, or not greatest. Don Morocco. No, well, that's Piper. a good one, Piper. Piper, Piper had all the tools, it. and he wasn't really. Piper definitely. Yeah. He was a free agent. Pretty much after the 80s, in and out, wherever he wanted to be, and wrote his own ticket. Piper could have worked, Which is yeah. probably why it didn't happen. But I think Piper would have been a great representation of the uh, as the world heavyweight champion. That I agree with. Yeah. Uh, even I, I, at, yeah, even at 1993, it. Roddy Piper, I think, could have done it. I can get behind that, yeah. Because Piper was still red hot. Piper still had, you know, uh, name value. And he was reliable and, you know, a, a strong fan base. And he was accepted by the audience. Yeah, I could definitely see a Roddy Piper with the NWA world title at this time. Um as we see, you know, Flair and Rude uh, going at it here in this this championship match. Going forward, though, the um, 
because there were two world champions on WCW, um, there was the WCW world title, and then I believe the big gold belt was turned into the WCW International Championship Correct. not too long after this um, this year. But I, uh, I would, you know, as, as great as Ric Flair is, I'm kind of like where I am with 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 uh, with you, Dennis, in terms of you know buying into. Road Warrior Hawk as a as a single star um, without Animal. Uh, I can't buy into Ric Flair as a good guy here, even against someone as as bad in terms of his his character, Ravishing Rick Rude. This was a this was a little uh, this was a little uh, difficult to chew on here because uh, I remember my last vision of Ric Flair was leaving the World Wrestling Federation because of Mr. Perfect, and I don't know, I just didn't really. As great as Flair is, I just never got behind it, you know. And I always wanted to see these two wrestle, but at the same time, I didn't. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. really strange. Like, yeah, sometimes you try something on, or you kind of like put it on, and you know, in the fitting room, if you will, before you buy it, and you go, eh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I like it, I don't love it. I'm not in love with it, yeah. Um, and I think this is a good example here, and it's a shame because you know how good they both are, especially now, in 25 right, years later. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, like why didn't that work? And you just go, you don't really have a good answer. You go, you know what? It just didn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of how you chalk up this rivalry. Um, I think they tried to make a recruit that stalwart, like a Ric Flair, like a Harley Race, and it just didn't work. And I think with that it audience, without Flair in the picture. Well, I would say too, the audience is different. The WCW audience and the WWE audience at this time, was a very different audience. And Rick, Rick Rude was coming from the WWF and was that guy, you know, the, the colorful attire like he has here and just a little more pizzazz than, say, you know, athleticism. And I think those things, there was more grittiness to the NWA that I think Rick Rude, he would have had to put aside more of the gimmick to be you know, a formidable world champion that I, that would have been accepted by the audience. Um, with that being said, though, talent rises above all. He could have made it work. Um, and it probably has to do with the fact that he was working with Ric Flair. It's a tall order. Um, these matches were good, like this one. But uh, it just, like you said, you, you try it on and it doesn't fit. Yeah. But, I mean, Rick, Rick Rude certainly... Uh, another guy doesn't get enough credit for his contributions in the industry. He's one of those like underground um, favorites in terms of when people want to rank like greatest bad guys and mm. you, know, you know the matches that he had. Like I, you know, people will talk about his matches with Ultimate Warrior, even Jake the Snake. But when I think of Rick Rude, I think of you know his his, his classic with Steamboat at Beach Blast '92 in that 30 minute Iron Man match, and even uh, his um, his. Uh, his run with Sting in 94, uh, late 93, early 94, uh, going up against Sting here. But uh, you just think about that, too. He breaks his freaking neck and still wins the match. You know what I mean? And, and, and uh, I, I thought it was that Sting match when he wins the title, I, I, or retained, I'm sorry. I forgot what, what happened. But I know he beat Sting and broke his neck. And it's, it's like, my God, it's like, you're incredible. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely one of the best. Yeah, definitely one of the best here. But you know, the the the, the dynamic between WCW and their association with the NWA 
at this time. Uh, obviously not knowing this when I was younger, when this was taking place, but, you know, doing my research now, and like I said, this is all hearsay, but, I mean, very interesting as to where um, they were in the industry and how... WCW wasn't that much different than the World Wrestling Federation in terms of the transition they were going through. I mean, you know, I'll go back to the well again and, you know, discuss on the SummerSlam show with Bill how, you know, I had a hard time as a WWF fan transitioning without Hulk Hogan. And it seems like WCW... Even though they were resisting the existence of the National Wrestling Alliance, they were still having a hard time um, transitioning from their style of programming and certain individuals that embodied what the National Wrestling Alliance was all about. It's uh, it's very interesting to, uh, to 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 look back and think about you know how much. You know, WWF and WCW in many ways during the transitional period were very much alike. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing that I see now looking back on it is WWF was was transitioning from Hogan to that quote new generation. WCW was kind of trying to move on from Ric Flair, um, Rick Rude being a prime example, trying to really give Sting the baton. Hulk Hogan was not too far away. They were, you know, at this point, you know, and, and Flair has, has kind of said it, you know, as Eric Bischoff moved in is, you know, there was this underappreciation for the Nature Boy and everything he could contribute to the point where it was, he was, he was marginalized so much because they were looking to move ahead. And, you know, luckily they caught fire with, with Hogan's, you know, debut and of course eventually the NWO, but... Yeah, there's definitely a comparison to, to be had with with WCW and Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan and the WWF, for sure. Dennis, your take on uh, on this match, this rivalry, and are we at the three count? No, not yet. Yeah. All right. All right, so your take on Rick Rude, Ric Flair, this rivalry, and... Uh, well, we can digress. That's <laughs> freaking phenomenal, by the way. That's why, I think that's why some, some months we, we get that, look, that, that, uh, that little pause for a second. We should have turned on watch this match. But uh, that being said, that great uh, Flair... Flair Rude, I think, uh, that, that sadly enough, gets forgotten, kind of like in the mix of like some of the greatest rivalries, greatest matches. Like, like, like you never hear... Uh, like Flair, you hear a Flair rude, like 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 maybe like Ric Flair Steamboat or Flair, you, you, you know you, you know Flair versus whoever you know. Sting. Like you never hear that's another thing. Thank you. And you never you never hear Flair rude for like a rivalry for being one of the yeah. best. And, and 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 I think people are are foolish not to not to mention that to, to how good their matches, how good the feud was, and like. You know what's uh, interesting about this is that. And this is stuff that I've heard from from watching interviews with Ric Flair is that, you know, like I said earlier, I had a hard time buying into Ric Flair being a good guy. But on the other side of the, the, the spectrum, um, Ric Flair tells a story that, you know, Rick, he, you know, Rick Rude has heat with him or he has heat with Rick Rude because Rick Rude felt that Flair sabotaged this WCW run because Rick Rude apparently wanted to be a good guy. And Flair, who was at the time helping produce uh, television writing and things of that nature, 
didn't put him in that position because he felt that Rick Rude was a better bad guy um, yeah, than he was a good guy. So it's kind of interesting. Imagine a, a good guy Rick Rude in 1993. Oh, it's hard. It is very hard. I think he's skilled enough to do it. I just don't know if people could get past how good he was as a bad guy. Was he yeah. ever a face? Do you remember Rick Rude as uh, a face? I can't. Ever? I don't Once, recall. Even for a hot second? No. no. I can't either. I just think people just had the... the, the well, just never like, mind. Right. Hold on. So Time out. Been... Time out. I oh. think I do. When he had that small little role in ECW... When he was kind of doing the color and the play, uh, color commentary with Joey Styles, and he had that storyline with the with with Shane Douglas. He was wearing a mask at one point. Uh, He kind of had an affinity for uh, Francine and and uh, her involvement with the Triple Threat stable led by Shane Douglas. He was uh, to the ECW audience. He was a hero, Um, but it didn't really lead to much because he couldn't wrestle anymore so and then eventually he joined the wwf and became Shawn michaels bodyguard and you know isn't that funny though he's a bodyguard but he can't wrestle so how physical can he get to protect his charge well you know what's even funnier the fact that they used to advertise virgil vincent as a bodyguard and not only with dibiase but as a member of the nwo but the nwo had the kevin nash 19 guys yeah they had 40 guys in their in their crew and virgil was the bodyguard of all of them virgil was guarding the body of the giant and Kevin Nash. Yeah. That was that was kind of stupid in and of itself. Maybe if he was DiBiase's butler, I didn't believe that, but oh, here we go. Kiss on the lips. Oh, and let's, let's just grab her by the titties. Why don't we? No, just kidding. Don't want to do that. We're a progressive show here. No, we're kicking out of two. Nuggets. It's time for nuggets. Yeah. It's time for nuggets. <laughs> Hashtag time for nuggets. Time for nuggets. Oh, no, you didn't, you didn't do it. Oh, I thought for sure it was nugget time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me more about this nugget time, Dennis. Oh, yeah. that, that, I'm sorry. That, 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 yes, and uh, me and a couple of my Irish friends, that, 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 uh, when you get uh, the, dick kick, the dick punch, we call it nugget time. Nugget, nugget time? time? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was like if you like get to grab boobies. Like, no, ever... no, nuggets are your balls. I'm sorry. Okay. No, that's that. all right. Yep. Time yep. for nu- nugget time. Okay. Yeah, nugget time, yeah. okay, if there's ever a time I to make t-shirts, time, that that's means, definitely going to be one of them. It's time for a low blow. There we go. The figure four is on. Oh, he's got he's got the nuts. Oh, the bright snucks. Oh, disqualification. Oh, no, you didn't see Thanks it. a lot, Fifi. Yeah. Oh, Nikki boy. Oh, man. He's got to kick out. One, two, two three. Wow. New world heavyweight champion, whether that's WCW or NWA. That's up for debate at this time. Ravishing Rick Rude defeating the nature boy, Rick Flair. You know what I don't like about this? So, so, so I know nowadays this is very commonplace, but if there's especially going to be a title change, that should be the last match. Last match should be a. You title think the title sh- the title match should go on last? Yeah, I do. And unless, unless if it's going to be retained, it's just like you know one of those matches where it's like uh, we get it that 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 like you know that 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 the title won't be a title change for another two or three pay per views. But if the title change changes, man, that's got to be the main event. I'm sorry. So were you in? So you let me ask you this because mm-hmm. this is a, a discussion that uh, you know I've had with with other people do you think the title match always goes on last it should be it's a team good oh, okay so so we're gonna watch mike tyson all right so know, let me ask whatever. you this time out time yep. out time out for a minute here yep. okay you believe the title match should go on last however hulk hogan and the rock at wrestlemania 18 
had the far more important match than Triple H and Chris Jericho, who was competing, those two were competing for the title. You mean to tell me that Jericho and Triple H still should have went on last, yes. even though their match was far less important than, I, than Hogan but and But that's Rock. a matter of I circumstance, want, though, you know I, what I mean? I, I want, I seriously, I want to pretend... Yeah, I want to shut off my brain. When I watch wrestling, a good event makes me shut off my brain and think I'm watching, like, the Olympics. That I'm watching something very, very special where titles mean something or whatever. Mm -hmm. That that, that, uh, you're telling me, it doesn't matter who, uh, you're telling me you're going to have, in boxing or in USC or whatever, you're going to have, like, the better rivalry over your title. That that means you totally took took a number two on your federation. Being our title that is not as important as the match. You know well, what I mean? there's there's truth to that. However, the the last match should always be the match you featured the most to get you to that show. But but but, but so that only should, in wrestling. That's only sure in wrestling. because wrestling is unlike anything else. Why do you think we're here? But no, here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. What, what what is our biggest complaint sometimes that 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 uh, that that that, 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 that don't feel like it's an athletic competition that we feel like it's a show. And that's my biggest gripe. And the title know. match should be seen as an athletic competition? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. a fair point. Yeah, that's fair, but like I said, I feel like if you're all your time promotion and everything else that you do leading up to it makes a non-title match more important, then that non-title match should go on last. Perfect example. The Rock and John Cena, once in a lifetime. That goes on last. I don't care what the other that title. Was the title no? Not the first one. Uh, once in a lifetime. Was, all right. So in a lifetime. Those things, <laughs> to me, like though that, uh, if it's given the build and the time and the appreciation, where the audience believes it to be such, certainly goes on last. Uh, you also are working with a live audience, and a live audience you don't want leaving in the at the end of your show when they go. I don't care about this match. You want the audience glued to their seats or standing up, glued to the action. Um, so to me, I'm not married to that idea. I would uh, hope that that would be the effort is to make the title match the most, if not the one of the most important matches. Sometimes they fall short of that. Um, to me, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not uh, exclusive. Falling short like Shockmaster. I can't wait till we grab the shotgun. Well, there's some gimmick matches gotta, like the War Games, which the War Games has to go on last. I, I, that, that, I got a question when, when, when the Shockmaster comes out. That, that, that I got one very, very important question. Okay. That, 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 uh, but that being said, that, that I always believe the match that, beyond. That, that, that the last match should be for, 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 for your promotions uh, championship. Yes. Yeah, I, but you know what? That doesn't. That doesn't. It, it, Give me seriously. Give me one sport where, where, where that, that's not the case. Yeah, but this isn't. This is professional wrestling. It's unique. It is its own thing. It's hard to make those those strong comparisons elsewise. You go look at the UFC. Does what's the most important title in the UFC? You can't even name that. There's like a hundred. That's arbitrary. That's true. That's that's the point. Oh, granted, it, it's going to be a title match. It's though. promotion. You know, it's going to be the belterweight or the heavyweight. How many title matches belt-to-weight? took place before McGregor and Mayweather? I don't know. But who sold the show? Yeah. McGregor and Mayweather. And I'm not saying that wasn't... That certainly wasn't the best boxing match to watch on that card if you were a fan of boxing. 
but you paid to watch that match. And as an audience, that's what you're waiting to see. So to me, it's not, I would love for the, the convergence of the title and its importance to, yeah. be, to, to meet with a place where the importance of the people involved is what people resonate but with, thought, but it doesn't always work out that way. But your McGregor, your, your, your McGregor in uh, Floyd Mayweather does not hold weight being, being, being that it was an expedition. It was not for a title. Exhibition? Yes. It was not for, for the WBC, whatever. Well, there were titles did. involved, technically speaking, but point taken. Yeah. I just don't... You always want to put the match that people talk about the most on last, that you put the most effort in as a promotion. A perfect example would be WrestleMania 25. Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker was the, as we've said, you know, off air, yeah. the best match, if not one of the best in the history of WWE slash professional wrestling. But on that card, on that night, the most important match to the universe of WWE was Randy Orton versus Triple H. It got the most time, it got the most effort, it got the most emotion leading into it. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you're putting all that effort into that match, it does deserve to go on last. I think there is also a point where you have to, as the promoter, gauge the audience's interest. Is that the match you want on last? Yeah, it's not quite catching on the way we thought it would. Let's go with Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Let's go with, you know, the title match versus the, you know, the box office that isn't really landing the way we thought it would. It's really it's it's a it's a, it's an interesting dynamic to think about. So, to, like I said, I'm just not married to that idea. I would, in a perfect scenario, every night should be that way. It just isn't ideal. Yeah, I mean, you both make great points regarding your arguments uh, when it comes to the main event and the criteria of a main event on a big show, whether it's a title match or a featured attraction match. And a uh, perfect example of that is here right now, the War Games, uh, the emotionless team of Harlem Heat, Sid Vicious, and Big Van Vader enter. And now we have Road Warrior Animal accompanying this team of... Dustin Rhodes, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, the Shockmaster, and Sting. Okay, so now we've got the Shockmaster uh, blown up. So his gimmick. What, what exactly is the Shockmaster? Okay. What is his gimmick? All Why right. is he coming down with where construction work? All right. So, based on some of the research I've done, the Shockmaster gimmick. I couldn't tell you what that is, my friend. I really couldn't. However. Um, after that fateful night when he f broke through the wall and fell down and the helmet bumbled, you know, bumble fucked around and he got back up, uh, WCW decided to capitalize on that. And there's a rumor going around that they toyed with the idea of, uh, having the Shockmaster unmask himself and create a character called Uncle Fred, which was a kind of a klutzy, kind of bumbling, hobo kind of a character. Um, as you can see here, they had the Shockmaster um, you know, unmasked, but they kept the name. But yeah, they were going to change his name to Uncle Fred, and they were going to turn him into, you know, this like bumbling klutz that just, you know... 
has no hand-eye coordination and can't really, you know. So is he wearing like the hard hat because he's the hard fall hat? Down? Thing, now let me get is into that, that for okay. a second. The hard hat thing here, where he looks like he's you know a construction foreman um, at a no-show job. <laughs> he. Uh, he used to re- wrestle in the Florida territories, I want to say, and maybe even in some parts of Texas, as Big Man Steel. Okay. And so I guess he was a steel construction worker. That was the, the character. Um, definitely could have uh, made a run as uh, one of the village people, so that's you gotta for sure. you got to forgive me. I think someone was actually called this, but I'm going to just call it like Max Steel or something. You know what I mean? Or like... Let me... Let me uh, Ask as far as the match is concerned, because I, I might have missed this, but who won the coin toss here? Uh, usually the heels do. Typically, yeah, I know that's how the match is designed. I didn't, so I, honestly, I, you probably, know what? They, they didn't even, I don't think they even uh, determined the coin toss yet. I think they do that um, at like the one minute mark for the next period, I want to say. You might be right, yeah, but I don't think they do that typically ahead of time. a heel yeah. victory. So we see the natural Dustin Rhodes baby. As much as I took a deuce of like when you guys said Dustin Rhodes are going to be the next champion, <laughs> he actually kind of has a good look to him. I don't remember. It's him. the red and yellow. I yeah. know. It's uh, the Hogan vibe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? This is this is the perfect setup for a babyface or even a heel to come in to gather more heat. Vader just took you know cut him off, and it's just going to work him until probably you know one of his henchmen comes in to assist. Which saves the hot tag, if you will, for the, that that second entry into the war games. Um, again, that's the psychology behind a match like this that I think has made it so successful. Um, and we got Colonel Robert though. Parker and I loved Colonel Robert Parker. I liked that whole Colonel Sanders kind of vibe to him. Like you, you know, I thought he was kind of cool. Like I, I, I dug it. You know, no matter who he managed. Like I know some people probably don't speak very highly of his contributions but when he came over as Tennessee Lee with Jeff Jarrett I thought that was kind of cool he was like Jeff Jarrett's musical promoter like I just felt like it was uh, a good compliment yeah it was yeah it was it was a different twist on the manager vibe Um, Vader here was involved in a legal issue before this show Uh, apparently New Japan Pro Wrestling took Vader to court claiming that they created the name and the gimmick that Vader used and accused him of breaching his contract with them by working for UWFI Um, the dirt sheets indicate that since George Lucas from Star Wars fame owns the trademark to Vader that New Japan Pro Wrestling can't prevent him from using it as his ring name however Big Van Vader was indeed ruled to be the property of New Japan Pro Wrestling, so he would have to drop the Big Van part. Um, he had been wrestling as the Super Vader under the UWFI banner. Anyhow, um, the court also ruled to allow Vader to use the same costume and presentation and ruled in his favor regarding the breach of contract. New Japan Pro Wrestling had ceased using Vader for over a year prior to him signing with the UWFI, and the court ruled that Vader had the right to seek work elsewhere. The whole thing may be appealed at this time, but Vader lost two-thirds of his name but wins big on everything else. Um, Here's something that I wanted to touch upon with you guys briefly. Uh, In recent years, WWE has taken individuals that had built up a name and a brand for themselves outside of their company that they didn't create, and they've allowed them to bring their name and use that name on television. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, even though they altered it with the glorious thing. Um... 
in years prior to that, they would completely change a guy's name. They did it with Daniel Bryan. He was known as Bryan Danielson, the American Dragon. Uh, definitely a, a, a different time period nowadays, but uh, what's your take on uh, name alterations in, in wrestling? If a guy builds a name outside of, the, outside of WWE and they come into WWE, um, is it good? Is it bad if they change the name? I mean, what's your take? Well, if I'm a promoter, like, uh, I think now in this day and age, the, the biggest taboo thing is, of course, the broken Matt Hardy, the woken Matt Hardy, and that, that whole gimmick thing with TNA and all of the other stuff. If I'm a promoter, I don't touch on a 10-foot pole. If I got a promotion, is, if, if you Here, made... Here's if you, the coin toss. If, if you made... Uh, Won if, by the bad guys. It, it, that, uh, oh, yeah, in, in war games, you got to have... Uh, you know the, the faces, build the, faces, the heat yeah, absolutely but that, with that being said that, that, uh, that uh, if I'm a promoter if someone comes in with like you know you're you're Josh Johnson from the WWF right I'm like you're Josh Jones now you're not Josh Johnson and then A I don't want your people to affiliate you with another promotion with my promotion maybe because that's not good that, that, that they're always going to proceed you as like you know the other guy you know mm-hmm. what I mean that, that, that you're the you're the WCW champion. You're not, you know, what my, my promotion champion is. You know. Yeah. That, 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 so I, w- I would want to change the name change right away. It, 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 that I don't care what they said. Oh, you're gonna make more money? Not necessarily. That that uh, that uh, I would definitely want the name change. But if I'm the wrestler, of course, I would want to keep my name and all this other stuff. So I think it's, it is a big conundrum. And that, that, uh, but but for me, if I'm the wrestler, I want to keep the name. If I'm the promotion, I want you to change that effective immediately. Absolutely. Um, I would say that it, I don't I don't think it matters who you are. It's who the audience identifies you to be. So for that. I don't think it matters what your name is. Okay. Um, but if you're if you're the wrestler, I almost think it doesn't matter what your name is. You know, at, at the same time, I don't think they. Hey, I just bought years of my life being Joey Samoe instead of Samoa Joe. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, for for a hypothetical example, you just bought yourself years on the uh, you know post WWE being going back to being Samoa Joe. Um. However, I think we've seen lately in, 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 in years that they're a little more lenient with that. They allow you to kind of keep your name and, and, and protect yourself. And it, I would be very interested to see how those agreements are drawn up as far as, you know, letting that happen. Because, again, it is a definite um, 180 from their approach post-WCW, even during the WCW years where they, they, they took to the practice of rebranding you from to the, to the letter of who you were. So... It is like it's it is an interesting conundrum for sure. Um, I guess it just depends on, on who it is and, and what they've done to protect themselves to allow that to happen. If they didn't protect their name, I'm sure the WWE just snatches that name up, trademarks it and, you know, lets it be what it is. If if not, you know, you you try to come to some, you know, amicable term. As we see Sting entering, evening up the odds for his team here, going after Vader and Stevie Ray from the Newly uh, christened Harlem Heat. A, a team we did not mention in no. our uh, Mount Rushmore episode. Um, I won't mention, but top four, Justin and Jenny Shake. I didn't say that. I, <laughs> no one mentioned them. No name drop of the Harlem Heat was there at all. And they were probably one of my favorite tag teams, especially in this time, you know, in the 90s. Um, 
interesting to see that no one mentioned that, you know, in our episode of, of Mount Rushmore tag teams. Um, that's just my insight. I, I, again, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I put them in there anyways, but they were very decorated, very accomplished, and, you know, a, a certain, a definite bright spot in, in WCW. I think a more intriguing argument, not that if, if they deserve to, uh, to be part of, like, the, the top five or six or whatever tag teams that there are in the world. Uh, that, that, uh, but would you consider Burger T a better singles wrestler or tag team wrestler? Singles. Uh, and it automatically, I'm disqualified from my meat. Ah, wow. I think Booker's a better singles wrestler. I mean, you oh, wow. I almost want to say better tag team. I think he was a great singles wrestler, but I almost want to say that, like, you could put him in the tag team and it it's the same. You know, he may be the feature of the tag team, but... I, you may, you actually, know, you know what? You kind of make a good point there, only because of his tag team work that he had done following Harlem Heat. He was a tag team champion with Goldust in WWE. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess... I mean, maybe I'll, another I'll, odd I'll, couple I'll, team we didn't mention in that I'll, episode. I'll retract well. my answer. I'll, I'll, I'll retract my answer and, and say that I can't really answer. That Let's put it this way: Does he have Does he have a better opportunity to shine a single star Booker T five time champion in, in in the wrestling world? Does he have a better opportunity to sign, to to shine as one half of a tag team? That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Do you bury a guy in the bench? Or on the depth chart, or do you put him in a place where he can shine? Speaking of burying guys, Sid Vicious is in the ring, <laughs> dropping dropping choke slams and kicks. And, I always uh, liked. Sid. Oh, I love Sid, and uh, I liked Psycho Sid. Personally. I like. Yeah, I, I I dug any incarnation of Sid. He was just. They were all the same. He was a he was an imposing, intimidating looking dude. Like when you saw him, especially as a kid, man, you had to be afraid yeah. of just looking at him. He he was fucking scary. Um, but his involvement in this match almost didn't happen. Um, he walked out of WCW a few weeks prior to this. According to several uh, sources, he'd been refusing to take drug tests, and he kept saying that he'd take them in a couple of weeks, and finally WCW gave him an ultimatum. They said, take the test or be fired. So he walked out. Um, but uh, not too long after that, both sides had worked things out. Um, apparently he was all over the pre-tapes and uh, was being promoted and pushed to be a part of uh, several pay-per-view main events. He was rumored to main event. Starcade this year against Vader, but uh, about a month after this, he was fired uh, for an unfortunate incident in a hotel overseas. I believe it was in Germany, uh, where him and Arn Anderson got oh, into a boy. fight, and he stabbed Arn Anderson with a pair of scissors. Where did um, he get a pair of scissors in a hotel? Is what I want to know. I don't know. Maybe guys kept scissors to like cut their wrist tape or something. Yeah, this was pre nine eleven, so who knows? Like, you know how how they were able to gain access what to a pair of scissors. Happen, Dave? It sorry, was in it was in October of ninety three. Following this, okay. and Sid would not return to WCW until June of nineteen ninety nine, when he was the bodyguard to Macho Man Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we see the action picking up here in War Games, the Sid now leaving ring number one to meet Davy Boy in ring number two. Who's just entering? Who is just Entering the fray here, British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith and Sid going at it in this other ring, kind of keeping themselves resigned to to this ring for the action. As Vader now is joining them, hitting the, hitting the second rope. And, oh, Vader, whoa! This is your hot slam. tag of sorts. Yeah, that was a good spot. Definitely, yeah. Guy like Vader could certainly pull that off for sure. 
I'll be honest with you, people regard this War Games as the worst, and I think um, or one, of, one, one of the worst. Come on. Um, I think the Let's 90, yeah, I think the 95 version with Dungeon of Doom is, is awful, and probably the worst one of them all, but um, there seems to be some pretty fun action here. I mean, I, I think Dustin Rhodes needs to put his other shoe back on, because yeah. I don't think he's uh, doing much damage to Stevie Ray. I always liked this part where they would like try to press him up against the the roof of the cage. It's a road warrior spot yeah. right there. Yeah. But then I, earlier they had uh, Sid and Vader pressed up. Uh, Sting. Sting and like they didn't. They were pre- they like they didn't quite hit the cage, but they were trying to. And then they just like threw him as if, oh my god, an extra six inches more is gonna kill the guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's wrestling. Yeah. No. And I mean, you know that's that's what makes it what it is. You, look, you know, it's it's at, unique uh, in that nature. Look at Dustin on juice and like. Well, he's got the blonde hair. It's an excellent visual. Put your shoe back on, for Christ's sakes. Why are you fighting His boot. His boot. I would say cowboy boot. For fuck's sake, put on your fucking shoe. Yeah, seriously. And there we see a Colonel Robert Parker right here. <laughs> I, got my, I got my boss on Halloween. Sid Vicious along with the, 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 the big Van Vader, if you will. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I, you know what? Selling, selling used ever. cars in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> you come down to O'Shea Chevrolet, if you will, and you pick yourself up a, a nice, good old-fashioned Ford F-350. <laughs> so this is what we get into. It's not 100% spot, 100% spot on. You got to announce yourself that you're going to do it. And people are like, oh, yeah, good job. If you don't have yourself, people are like, I, 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 It's the first time I've uh, ever, ever good. done Colonel Robert good. Parker. So here we see Booker T, sucker. That wasn't a good Booker T. Nah. I think I think I, I think I capped it. You know, I hit my ceiling this week with uh, with my impressions and with the Colonel Robert Parker impression there. Yeah, That's for sure. As we were down to, we we're to get into the nitty gritty, if you will, uh, with these two teams going at it. Did you realize? Now, now this is interesting. We talked about racial overtones, okay, in wrestling and and its place in wrestling. Um, obviously, not being a place anymore. Uh, in wrestling but did you know that prior to this match and prior to Harlem Heat's debut in WCW uh, Colonel Robert Parker was their manager and Colonel Robert Parker debuted them wearing like prison jumpsuits wearing chains around their neck. <laughs> yeah, it's the, I, you might have to find it on YouTube, but it happened once, and I think like once they realized that like the audience didn't know what to make of it, they knew that like they had something that they needed to like put a stop to right away. Like, like you know what? I think the Turner executives too made it. Is like, that a Bill Watts in. thing? Um. There's a chance Bill Watts was a part of that. I got an odd deal. <laughs> Get him out of prison. Yeah. Put some shackles on them, Boaz. Bill Watts is a crazy I think watch. If Nails didn't hit the Vince, I think Nails would have been a huge star. Nails? I do. I do. <laughs> Shit, we have jumped to the fucking was, shark on wow. kicking out of two. You Shockmaster was bad enough. Now oh, we're talking Nails. No, but Nails was going to... Nails was going to... Uh, you know, have a rivalry with The Undertaker. And I thought... It, I, I, I think that he had a potential of being... Of being, being no, Giant Gonzalez had a potential, too. I will say that. Yeah. How'd that work out? And Justin... Um, um, for everyone that uh, yeah, I just told uh, uh, Justin he's number one. 
<laughs> the one finger salute, if you will, courtesy of our, our friend, Mr. Dennis nice. Levy. Mr. Dennis, since you're only Mr. Dave, you'll be fair. Mr. Dennis. Like I said, it's a stretch, but I think, I, I think, and, you Damn, know, and, you know the, the double dub, a WWE magazine cover where Neil is in yeah, Undertaker, you know I what I mean? That, yeah. they they, I, think, I think that rivalry would have Fred Ottman looks like he lost to Stallone in the semifinals of Over the Top. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> a great analogy. That is a great analogy. By the way, I just saw that movie just the, uh, probably like a week ago. Fred Ottman looked like he could have been an extra in the No Holds Barred movie in the Battle of the Tough Guys. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God, yeah. In the dive bar. <laughs> yeah. He was a tough guy. And then they put I a think, fucking... By the way, I think, I think No Holds Barred was misunderstood. It was, was it a good movie? No, but it wasn't bad either. They're between good and bad. I love that movie. I still have it How on DVD. How far we fucking traveled. Yeah. And here we go. I think we're at the finish now where, you know, the, the one member of, of the team has to give up and the referee will then call for the bell. So people are the count nowadays. No, and that's what I hate about No, it. that was that's what I liked about this though. It was it it was the match beyond. Which well, I, I think, what, they don't use that term anymore, but like it was just not to fantasy book, and I'm not going to do that. Thrown in the white I flag, felt, if you will. I felt like in war. The war games, they should have like had like handcuffs positioned around the cage and you had to cuff your opponents and you either could escape or you cuffed everyone and then you made your you made one of your opponents give up and your other the other team had to watch as we see here oh that's a great idea sting davy boy smith the shock master where they all left why because the match is over. Because he just bear hugged Booker T into submission. Oh, he gave up. I didn't. Oh, really, I didn't really see that. See, that's my point. Is that like it's uh, so? It's well, like hold on. We're not watching this with sound though, because uh, it, that's not it made abundantly clear just watching. But again, I, I like the the surrender aspect of war. So do I. Holy crap! That was a terrible finish, oh boys. We're but at the same time, there's three other teammates that could have helped him not submit. No fucking. Why wouldn't you at least like try to seclude those other guys? And look at these guys, like like almost like bad guys. They want like that's it. We're out of here. <laughs> Storming off the court and to make sure. Pause that for one second. Too. And he's good. And he's good. He's not. He's no like. But, but also too, if you pause that for a second, they're, they're the good guys, right? You had. You had Sting. That's gonna be a Hall of Fame. You, you have you had, uh, Davey then, Boy. You had Davey Boy. Who's Dustin. Gonna, so someday it's gonna be a Hall of Fame. Gold Dust. I'm convinced it's gonna be a Hall of oh, Fame of course. someday. That, 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 uh, and then you had fucking Tugboat as the he's the one that got the finish. Come yeah. on. The Shockmaster. The Shockmaster. Oh. They were still trying to work that over, man. I am the Shockmaster. Yeah, Shockmaster. I am and, the Shockmaster. And, 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 uh, and once again, no one convinced me. Uh, like, why? So, 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 why the hell is, is, is coming out as a construction worker calling himself out the Shockmaster? Uh, like, how did yeah, that... he should have brought his fucking lunch pail oh. to the ring with him. At least if he hit yeah, the with, with his, lunch with pail his construction something. lunch pail, it yeah, would have made Extra it... in the pile driver music video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Again, the construction no-show job. What are you guys waiting for? Don't you want to leave? Look at Vader's got his head buried in Stevie Ray's ass. No, I just want to hang out in this fucking cage. Okay, so now let's digress. So what are you... Okay, so let's just say we mean us three. That, 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 that we're going back in the time machine and we're adults, so that we can afford to pay a pay per view, right? That, that we just that dropped thirty dollars for this piece of shit, and, that, 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 and you're telling me 
You're telling me we would have thought it would have been a piece of shit if, if, if we saw, uh, you, you know, they the, know the title match? Of, they know it's a piece of shit because look at that. People are throwing stuff. Yeah. Half the audience is left. And the baby faces won. If you had the title match close the show, guess what? Everyone's leaving happy. Are you sure if the bad guy won that match? Look at Sid. He's like gyrating. I think they would say we saw a good match to close the show. That did Steven But again, an attraction. This is an attraction, the war games. You kind of have to go on last of this. Uh, just my you Sid, see that. Sid telling everyone that he's got half the brain as everyone else? I don't know. What well, drives me nuts, I'm, I'm serious, what drives me nuts when, 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 this is, when, 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 a, when a title match doesn't close the show, and also, like, uh, uh, what other point is going to bring him? No, no, no I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm choking under pressure here. But that, that, under uh, pressure? Oh, no, whatever. Dude, that, you're that, a veteran, that, dude. That, You've that, done that, a few I, of these. Oh, I apologize, now. I apologize. <laughs> I, I had a point, and I'm just like... Uh, I just can't. Uh, that uh, I, I just can't take it when, when, when stuff like this closes out. I want a pair of those. Oh yeah. Oh no no no. When you have a gimmick, when you have a gimmick pay per view, right? Like 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 uh, like Hell in the Cell, and not all the matches are in Hell in the Cell, and like also like when you don't close out a show with a title match. Oh, awful. There we see senior producer Virgil Runnels. Credits. Yes, credits. Which. Uh, you know, has been a question in wrestling history is, you know, if you're rolling credits and you have producers at the end of, you know, you know, if you're rolling credits with producers and, and production assistants and you're, you're giving credit to people to help produce the show, why don't these guys have SAG cards? Uh, Assisting to Mr. Does. Runnels. The crew guys do. But, like, the performers... Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother discussion for another time. We don't need to get oh. into that. David Crockett, Vice President of Production. Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, the executive producer. As we close out this 1993 fall brawl event here, um, this has been an interesting stroll down memory lane, guys. I will say so myself. Uh, going into, you know, a, a very weird year in professional wrestling, 93. For me, like I said, it was a transitional year. I had a hard time transitioning with some of this stuff. But nonetheless, um, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I would like to thank you both for being a part of this. Oh, and, oh uh, thank you, like always, Dave, for inviting me. You know, of course. You know, you, like I said, you are a regular here now. You're like the furniture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you are definitely going to, you know. That means Dave gets to sit on your face. Oh, hey. Oh, I didn't shower either, so. <laughs> Justin, what I always say, when I do my private life, none of mine's business. <laughs> awesome. Very, very cool. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, well, thank you. Know, before, you. We, before we close out, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of rushing things here, but before we close out, just give me your thoughts on 1993 and this show as a whole. What did you think? Was it, back in 1993, would it have been worth it watching this and purchasing this on pay-per-view? I know you just said, Dennis, you're, you know, a heavy Jew and you didn't purchase this. Oh, no. But, you know, uh, what, what is your take on this event overall? All right, so if they just had the semi-main event be the war games and the main event be the title match, I think everyone would have left saying, you know what, not bad. You're still not back good. on your horse Not now. good, not good, but not bad either. But now, that, that was the last taste of our mouth. That was a bad pay-per-view. It was bad. I don't think it gets that much better with, with the switch that you're talking about. Was it worth it? Oh, no, not at all. Um, it's war games, though. You know, 
Uh, we look at it with a with a, a trained eye now versus in 1993. I'm sure I would have enjoyed it back then. I mean, where's that money coming from at, a, at at four years old? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just saying. Now you you know you know when you go to your dad and you're just like, oh, the next four allowances, keep it. I want to watch a pay per view. You know, my dad did that for me a couple times. You know what I mean? I would have lost four. Uh, I would have lost four of my allowances for this longer chunk. Come on. Yeah. No, you you make a good point there. For me personally. It sucked, but I wanted to cover something that sucked because, you know, I, I want to be able to give the good and the bad of the history of pro wrestling. And I felt coming up, you know, being this being the 25th anniversary of this event and how weird 1993 was as a, as a year in wrestling, I felt the need that, you know, we had to cover this show. So with that being said, um, let's get out of here. Let's put this show down for the three count. Until next time, I'm Dave Rosenbluth, and I'll see you all next week. Don't forget to tune in next week as Justin's going to be joining me once again for the second installment of our Trading Places series. If you are late to the party here at Kicking Out at Two, our Trading Places series is a, is a, is a show where Justin and I sit down and we, uh, we discuss and dissect an event from years prior, an event that really doesn't get talked about enough or as much in wrestling history. And we play a little role reversal, if you will. We take the results from each match and uh, we switch them up and we try to map out where those particular characters or a particular storyline would go within uh, the landscape of whether it be WWF, WCW, ECW, the NWA, whatever the case may be, whatever event we're covering, uh, we try to uh, map out the uh, the landscape, so to speak. So we try not to do it in a fantasy booking kind of way because there's so many shows out there that love to fantasy book. We're just not like that. We don't do that at Kicking Out of Two. We like to have a little fun without uh, really getting ourselves worked up over uh, fantasy booking debates and discussions. So uh, the event that we're going to cover is WWF Breakdown in Your House 1998. Uh, we're going to be approaching the 20th anniversary next week of that show, an event that really set the table for a lot of the big storylines heading into late 1998 and into 1999. That event was headlined by Stone Cold Steve Austin against Kane and The Undertaker for the WWF Championship in a triple threat match. You had all the other cast of characters from the Attitude Era. You had Sable. You had The Rock. You had Ken Shamrock. You had Mankind. You had DX. You had Val Venus. You had them all. And they were all a part of this very historic event. So tune in next week. SoundCloud.com for Breakdown in Your House 1998. Trading Places number two. Speaking of number two, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two to be a part of all the fun. Hit the like button and join us for very fun, interactive, in-depth pro wrestling conversations over there on Facebook. If you love a positive atmosphere when it comes to talking pro wrestling, kicking out at two on Facebook is the place. If you have hit the like button, tell someone who loves to do the same thing. Tell them to hit that like button. Be a part of all the interactive fun. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Same goes for Twitter. Following's not as strong, but we're getting there. Like I said, Rome's not built in a day. You got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run, all that bullshit. I think I said that last week, but I'm going to say it again this week. Our handle at kicking out two. K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. The same the same fun interactive atmosphere we have on Facebook we have it over on Twitter so help us build that following and make it just as strong on uh, Twitter as it is on Facebook all right like I said time to put this show down for the three count but before I do allow me to leave you with this